Hey. It's, <laughs> it's getting ready. One thing I said today was projection of the one, the unwoke does not exclude collective persecution. How's that sound? <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, Wendy, good to see you. Uh, Carl Grossman, great to have you with us. Uh, in the second hour, <clears throat> Carl, we're going to have um, um, a cut from the new film, Women from Three Mile Island. It's an hour away, but it'd be great to have you on. Tatanka, good to see you. Um, Gary O'Connor is joining us. Uh, that's cool. And we are at five o'clock. Uh, we can start any time you want. I guess we're recording and live streaming. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Um, well, um, let's hold on here. Hold on. One second. All right. We're going to rock and roll. Ready? Hey, everybody. This is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman back with you for the 130th count them. 130th Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. Uh, we're starting with about 25 people on the call and we are um, live casting and we will be broadcasting to uh, our great audience at Progressive Radio Network, which will be uh, prn.live, goes on 5 p.m. Uh, New York time um, uh, on Thursday. Right now it's Monday, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, glad to have this beautiful crew of people. We have a full agenda. We're honored by the presence of Emily Levy. Good to see you, Emily. She will be our first presenter. Uh, and then we are going to talk with Emily about her important new project uh, on, on county, on counting uh, the votes accurately. And then we're going to segue into a discussion of the Wisconsin uh, Supreme Court race, which Emily is also involved in. And um, uh, very importantly, uh, we will um, uh, uh, then uh, we're going to talk about uh, a breaking story that um, uh, I'm sure Tatanka and uh, Tatanka, good to see you, and Carl, uh, people of a certain age, let's say, will remember, which is the 1980 election and, uh, and the uh, October surprise, which really got a lot of us going. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, uh, in the for the rest, and then uh, Wendy Lederman is going to uh, give it. Um, uh, we hope that Wendy is not dragged away by uh, DeSantis secret police in the middle of our broadcast here. But we're going to do a laundry list of uh, the situations with um, uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, uh, Governor DeSantis uh, getting in touch and um, sort of acknowledging his inner gay guy. Uh, and we'll <laughs> we'll see if we finally see some progress in that. Uh, we are uh, monitored by our, our resident our psychologist, uh, Dr. Nancy Naparco. Um, uh, good to see you, Nancy. Uh, in the second hour, uh, we will uh, uh, talk with the maker of uh, Heidi Hutner of an incredibly important film. This will be at six o'clock Eastern, three o'clock Pacific. Uh, the Women of Three Mile Island. Um, I went to Three Mile Island uh, um, in January of 1980 and interviewed people in farmhouses. It was the worst week of my life. And uh, we are still getting denial from the nuclear industry that anyone was harmed at Three Mile Island, which is a 
horrible, horrible lie. And Heidi Huttner will be with us. We're going to see a clip of her new film, Women at Three Mile, of Three Mile Island. So as always, we have a full agenda. It's an honor to be with all of you. I will be leaving at 620. My daughter, Abby, uh, is getting a Woman of the Year Award in Teaneck, New Jersey. And um, uh, we're very proud of her. And uh, unfortunately, I had a pair of dress pants that I no longer uh, fit into, so I'll be going in my blue jeans. But that's another story. So <laughs> uh, everybody here, it's really a joy to see you all. Uh, we're up to 34 people, and the, <clears throat> the meter will climb as we go ahead. So we want to start with Emily Levy, about uh, five, 10 minutes on your new project, Emily, and then we'll segue into the uh, Wisconsin uh, a Supreme Court race. Uh, uh, Janet Groom, nice to know you grew up in Teaneck. Uh, email me and we can play Jewish geography. Um, um, Emily, you are the uh, founder and, and leader of the magnificent group uh, Scrutineers. And um, um, I always love how you're sitting in front of an old old barn there. Yep. <laughs> but I'm at the ocean, so what can I tell you? So um, uh, Emily, Describe for us, if you would, please, and of course, put your contacts and all that stuff in the chat. Um, uh, what is your new project and how can we be involved? Great. Thanks so much for having me, Harvey and Wendy. Thanks for arranging it and congratulations to Abby. Yeah, um, so Scrutineers has been around for three years and we, we are a place where people can come to learn about election transparency and voting rights and get involved. So we're really action oriented. We have a, several projects going on and the latest of which is one that we call Watch the Counties, where what we are doing is in places that post election night results at the precinct level online and update those results online, we are now set up to automatically download them every time new results come on, come on to the election websites, to automatically download them and automatically do some mathematical checks on those results, looking for specifically um, whole scanners that count votes that who whose results are missing from the from the accumulated results or that are double counted. Um, for some some for numbers that are going down vote counts that are going down as the results accumulate and for some other anomalies that can be detected mathematically and the thing that i'm so excited about about this project is that when we find when we find problems we're finding them right away and i'll give you an example we've done this so far on four elections starting with the Senate runoff last December in Georgia, and then two smaller elections in Georgia earlier this year, and then the um, Pennsylvania state, state legislature race um, in Allegheny County, where we found that there were some votes that were originally uploaded as election day votes and then moved over to the mail-in vote category. And we knew that that had happened. It's not a huge problem that that had happened. It's just probably sloppy record keeping, but we knew that it had happened within five minutes of when the results were uploaded online. So a lot of the work that, um, that folks 
have been doing analyzing election results takes weeks or months to find the problems. And even though we can only find a small subset of the problems that can occur, we can find them so quickly that they can be dealt with. Um, and, and we're doing this project with the Coalition for Good Governance in Georgia, um, and who were really concerned because they know of situations where whole precincts were missing from the vote counts or where precincts were double counted. And when that happens, it shows up in the election results. The turnout numbers are just way off. So you can see right away, but they didn't have the bandwidth to figure out what to do about it. And so we were able to come in and with them put together a project where we've now been able to automate most of this checking. And then there are some parts that aren't automated, like for example, one of the first things we do when, when the software that we're using reports a problem is look to see if there are any reasonable explanations for the problem or what could have caused it. And sometimes we'll need to do public records requests to get other information to fit together with the data that we have to see to try to figure out what happened. So we need people to do that. We need people to advocate in places where they're using the election night reporting system that would allow them to publish these downloadable results, but are not actually publishing those results. So we want to be doing some advocacy to get them to post the results in more places. Um, and then we also are looking for people to help with preparing for um, being able to take action when we do find problems. So that's that's basically what the new project is. Does that make sense that, to you, Harvey? That's, that, that's truly amazing. Uh, uh, hold on, sorry. Associate, uh, um, I'm here, uh, call me when you just show up. I gotta hang up. Sorry about that. My daughters are running all over. Uh, Emily, that is really amazing stuff. Um, uh, it's very important, obviously, and uh, critical to getting uh, decent results. Does anybody want to ask a question or chime in on Emily's project? Emily, have you got your stuff in the chat? Here, I will put the, the link to Scrutineers in the chat. Um, and anyone is welcome to join. It's a one-time fee of $1.99, which we do to, to basically to keep bots off the site. But anyone who is fair, interested in fair and transparent elections is welcome to join us. And then we can connect you with that project if that's what you want to help with. I see Tatanka, your hands up. Hi, Tatanka. Hi, um, thank you so much. I just want to thank you for your persistency, you know, from when you started this program and finding practical things that can really inform people to make a difference. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah, and you still do your training, right, uh, Emily? Yes, we still do various kinds of training. And um, after we do a training, it becomes available in our training library inside our community site. So anybody who joins now can take advantage of all the training we've ever done. Um, Another thing we have going on is a book club starting tomorrow. And the first book we're going to, this is initiated by one of our members. The first book they're going to be reading is Jonathan Simon's Code Red. So if anyone has always wanted to read that book and not gotten around to doing it, if a book club would help you, come and, come and join us. Wow, fantastic. Uh, Eric Lassen. Congratula Congratulations, uh, Emily. Um, you might want to just give us like, the 30 second here information, you know, would, would come from here and be processed this way and come out there. 
I think it, it's a, the, the quick overview of how information flows through this, I think will make it clearer, certainly to me. Okay. Thanks so okay. much, Emily. So thanks, Eric. That's a great question. So what happens is on election night, the the in in some counties, they upload to the internet basically a spreadsheet that shows the vote broken down by precinct and also by vote type, like who voted in person, who voted by mail, whatever the, the vote types are for in, if, if there's early voting, et cetera. Um, so, and the more data is broken down, the easier it is to find anomalies in it. So those, those are posted, those spreadsheets are posted online. Um, software that we have developed by one of our members automatically downloads them. And then they're run through Excel, actually, through a, a program built in Excel by Ellen Tyson, who some of you may remember from Voters Unite years ago, who now has a business building Excel macros. The macro is looks like a mini program that runs inside Excel. And that program pulls in the results and reorganizes the files and checks the numbers against each other and spits out for us a list of the problems that it found in plain English. So um, it's pretty cool. And we actually have, um, we have, I, I did an introduction to it recently that's recorded and available in our site. If people are interested in, in getting more information about it, it's available there. Great. Uh, Wendy and then Mike. Wendy, yeah. Hey, Wendy. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Um, Emily is awesome. By the way, the work she does is super important. She's great to work with. So I definitely encourage anybody curious to, to check out more. I wish I wasn't so spread thin all the time or I'd be like so much more productive. Um, but well, I, I, I want guess to interrupt I you and say it's not just me. We have um, we have a, a core of a couple dozen active members and we have a thousand twenty four members of scrutineers. So um, for a group that works on election transparency, we're pretty large, though, you know, for an organ for a national organization, we're still tiny. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, I see, like, the core work, you know, is, is highly concentrated. But I know when, like, elections come around and in key races, like, the troops are out there, and it's, like, just so well organized and implemented and effective. And it's really great. Um, so my question is, um, if maybe explain like why the rapid results are so important um, and just getting them immediately, people understand that. Thank you, Emily. Sure, so so a lot of times the, the analysis that happens, whether it's comparing um, exit polls to vote totals or looking for anomalous data within, within the, the data sets from elections that we get, when it's compared, um, when it's compared manually, you know, by people looking at the numbers, it can take months by which time the elections have been certified, the candidates have taken office. Um, it's too late to really do anything if problems were found. So if we were, say, to find an example of a precinct whose votes were counted twice, and we find that within a few minutes of when that's posted, theoretically, when we alert the election officials, they will want to correct that problem. So the possibility of actually getting action fast enough to make sure um, mistakes like that don't impact election results is the reason that, that the speed is so important. Great, great, thank you. Mike Hurst. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Emily. You're doing great work. I know you're working with a thank great you. team. And uh, that, that speaks highly of you and your ability to organize and keep people working on this very, very important and, and often unrecognized effort. So thank you for that. I had a just a quick specific question about um, in uh, 2004, my understanding is that there were results coming in live from Ohio that were showing that John Kerry was gonna defeat uh, W. Bush. And then all of a sudden the results kind of came down off the internet. And when they came back on, lo and behold, Bush was winning. It, it was looking so bad for Bush that my understanding was uh, his uh, uh, staff was preparing him for the loss. And then all of a sudden this um, bizarre <laughs> uh, incident happened. And Sluggo, I know that, that you and, and our wonderful friend Bob Petrakis and others looked into this in detail. But Emily, do you think that your um, uh, um, new software or whatever could have captured that information and stored it so it would provide us with more evidence if something like that were to happen again? So we are so we are downloading the precinct level results as they come in. So if if they change later, yes, we would have what the original results are. And okay. Sluggo, what do you think of the ramifications for you know what what the work the great work that you led in Ohio um, in the 04 election? Would that have given you more yeah, of a basis? It would have made, made all the difference. What happened in Ohio is that John Kerry was leading George W. Bush um, in all the reports by well over uh, several hundred thousand votes. And uh, <laughs> the, the system under uh, Republican Secretary of State J. Kenneth Blackwell mysteriously shut down at 1220 at night with Kerry well ahead and then reopened at 2 p.m., 2 a.m. And, and suddenly, miraculously, George W. Bush was well ahead. And uh, in this dark zone, basically there was a coup d'etat. And had we had the kind of thing that Emily is talking about in place, uh, we could have corrected, we could have stopped that from happening. So there you go. And of course, in that hour and a half, uh, uh, W. Bush attacked Iraq, but that's another story. Anyway, um, Emily, that's terrific work. Thank you, Mike, very astute question. Uh, in, in 2004, Ohio cast all its votes <clears throat> on electronic touchscreen machines, which are you know, basically designed to steal elections. And now Not all of them. Not all of them. There were still, there were still some punch cards in use in Ohio in 2000. Okay. Well, most it was mixed. Yeah. And, and in the 20 years since that debacle, uh, or 18 or 16, however you know I count it, uh, we have the country has moved over to mostly uh, uh, hand-marked paper ballots, which ma has made all the difference in the world. I guarantee you, if the 2020 election had been conducted like the 2004 election in Ohio, uh, Donald Trump would be in the White House, no doubt about it. Uh, so Emily, thank you so much for that. I want to segue over. Um, uh, we have one more quick question from Stephen Kaiser, if you will. And then we want to talk about Emily's work and other people's work in uh, Wisconsin. Why wasn't there a recount in Ohio in 2000? Go ahead. Why was there actually there a was a recount in Ohio in 2004. Right. And 
so that's that's a topic for a different time. But there there was one funded by the Green Party and the Liber called for and, and funded by the Green Party and the Libertarian Party. So I actually am not no, very involved in Wisconsin this year, though I've been involved in elections there in the past. But we had a presentation. Wait, wait, last excuse, excuse Emily, me. I want Emily, to flush this point out a little second, bit Stephen more. Kaiser had a question. Go it ahead. Wasn't Steve. wasn't the problem really around Cleveland particularly, and somehow all these votes were uh, transferred to some company like in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, that, yes. that's owned what by a. Is, uh, Jay Kenneth Blackwell, the Republican Secretary of State. And by the way, on Election Day 2004, Karl Rove and George W. Bush, the sitting president of the United States, went one place. They went to Columbus, Ohio, and had a private conversation with the Secretary of State of Ohio on Election Day in 2004. And that night, uh, um, Blackwell had given a no-bid contract to a Bush family consulting firm to do the vote count. And they did the vote count electronically in a basement of a bank in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And that's what blacked out in 1220 a.m. And, and reemerged in, at 2 a.m. with George W. Bush winning the presidency. I he mean, in, this, in a situation up. like this, when it obviously can have been, uh, you know, stolen election, if we can't bring that to the table, what hope do we have of bringing anything to the table? That's a good question. And What's the answer? We're, we're, that's why we've had 130 calls. We've been seeking the answer. <laughs> and uh, uh, Emily, uh, you've been but part of that. Thank you. I didn't hear that. anything back in 2004 about this, or, or damn near nothing. It was years later I even found out that this was a problem. So I how could be completely blocked out? There, President, I always wondered why I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. And then during this uh, election <laughs> in 2004, I said, oh, maybe that's why I was put here. So at any rate, it was a, a total theft and the beginning of really based on uh, partly on Greg Powell's work and um, uh, in, in Florida 2000, that's really the birth of the election protection movement uh, is in Ohio 2004. And we just happened to be there. I mean, it could have been in Indianapolis for, for that matter. But and, and one of the differences is it, it was hard then as it is now to get media coverage of these sorts of issues. But now we have social media and we didn't have that in 2004. Right. And that's why it's really important as however much you hate it for people who are working on these issues to learn how to use social media effectively because we rely on it for people to be able to hear when, th when things like that happen. Right. Well, I'm too old to use social media, except when my grandchildren are around. But Emily, um, you are also working in Wisconsin. Can you tell us uh, what's going on there? Yeah. So actually, uh, I'm not doing very much in Wisconsin. I've been helping out with um, nonpartisan. We're a nonpartisan organization. I've been helping out with nonpartisan phone banking a little bit. And we had... Um, a special presentation last week by Andrea Miller of Center for Common Ground, who is whose organization is doing a ton of phone banking to black and brown voters in Milwaukee um, ahead of the April 4th Supreme Court election. And she wasn't able to be here to talk about that. And so Wendy asked me to talk a little bit about what Andrea shared in her presentation. So, um, I am hearing a lot of people say that the Wisconsin Supreme Court election that's happening April 4th is the most important election this year. Um, there are also important elections in Virginia later on, but it's absolutely crucial. The su Supreme Court 
the state Supreme Court of Wisconsin is currently ha, currently has a four to three um, so-called conservative, otherwise right. known as Republican leaning, though it's their nonpartisan seats majority. And it's the person that the justice that's leaving is a conservative. So this is the first opportunity that progressives have to change the makeup of the court in a long time. And whoever is on the court now will be on the court um, through the 2024 presidential elections. Um, in Wisconsin, statewide races are typically so close that small changes in things like election rules could change the outcome. And, you know, it was Wisconsin narrowly escaped um, an effort to, to overturn the presidential election results in, 20, in 2020. So it's very dicey there. Um, the Supreme Court will also be making decisions about whether the 1849 abortion ban, which went into effect after the Dobbs ruling struck down Roe v. Wade, will stand. There's a legal challenge to that law, and they will be ruling on that. It's uh, Wisconsin is considered to be the most gerrymandered state, and they will be dealing with, with um, redistricting. They'll be dealing with gun laws, all sorts of really important issues that are important to the whole country. You don't have to be in Wisconsin to help with phone banks. And, you know, I used to think as somebody who knows how to do a whole bunch of different kinds of activism and advocacy around election issues, I used to think that writing postcards to voters and calling voters was not an effective use of activists' time. And Andrea has convinced me that that's not true over the last couple of years. She, in her presentation, cited um, some pretty amazing statistics from one of their earlier campaigns, which is um, that in, this, in the particular race that she was talking about, there was a 36% turnout rate for all black voters in their data set who did not receive a phone call. And voters who received a vo just a voicemail from them were 16% more likely to vote than the uncontacted voters. And voters who spoke with one of their volunteers were 47% more likely to vote than the uncontacted voters. So it really, you know, in a place where the elections are close, it can really make a huge difference. And what they're finding, what Center for Common Ground is finding in um, their phone banking for the Supreme Court race is that over 90% of the black voters that they are talking to don't even know that there's an election happening. Over 90% of the black voters they're talking to in Milwaukee don't even know that there's an election happening. So it's really important to reach out to these voters. Um, the parties are reaching out to likely voters people who, who vote consistently through all elections. This is a special election. And so we also need some unlikely voters to get out and vote. So um, the way that the phone banks work, you, you sign up, you come to a live Zoom session where you get trained. And then after they train you, which just takes about a half an hour, you can start making calls and then you can either come back to live sessions and make more calls, or you can, once you're trained, do it on your own time. They provide you with a script and you make the calls from your computer so you're not sharing your cell phone number with anybody. So um, I will share a link to how to sign up for the, for the Center for Common Ground phone, phone banks. And um, 
If you want to watch Andrea's training, if you're already a member of Scrutineers, and I see many of our members here, it's available for you in the past events section. And if you join, you can see that too. So um, I will share that event, that, that link with you, and I think that's all I've got. Well, that's a lot. And people need to take this very seriously. The election is April 4th. Uh, unfortunately, the anniversary of the killing of Martin Luther King and uh, the, the, the importance of this race cannot be overstated. I mean, the, the Supreme Court, and I gotta tell you, um, I know you don't do this, Emily, this is my shtick here. I have received about five or six emails in the last two weeks from Democrats, the Democratic Party, soliciting money for next fall's Senate race. And they're not raising money uh, for the Supreme Court race. It's infuriating. And, you know, the Democratic Party should be all over uh, this as well. We know the Republicans are. And um, anyway, I made phone calls in the lead up to the last Georgia election. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I left probably 10 voicemail messages and I talked to two people, <laughs> one of whom was in a daycare chasing four-year-olds all over. That was, I should have recorded that one. But it's really, it's great to do. I would say, and Emily, you can correct me, the vast, when you do the phone calling, the vast majority of the calls, you leave messages on their machine. Yeah. But I think that's highly effective, actually. Yep, and the messages tell them where to go vote, how to get the information they need, how to get a ride to the polls, that sort of thing, which really makes a big difference in whether people vote or not, especially in this case where people don't even know there's an election. Great, great. Thank you so much, Emily. Uh, Thank you, Harvey. Um, stay with us for a minute. We're going to talk a little bit more about Wisconsin. Then we're going to go to the October surprise and then to fascist Florida. We're joined by Larry Bensky. Larry Bensky um, has, has had a tremendous career as one of the great talk hosts on KPFA in Berkeley. And uh, he and I talked many years ago, 40 as a matter of fact, about the October surprise. But Larry, you wanted to, we'll go to that in a second and we'll also get to talk involved. We need we need the geezers on this one. But Larry, you wanted to have a word or two about Wisconsin, and then let's talk about the October surprise. Just briefly on Wisconsin, and thank you for having me. The last thing in the world that Democrats need and this candidate needs in Wisconsin is money. She has raised over $10 million so far, and the Republican who's running against her has raised not even $1 million. Now, there's a talk about last minute contributions coming from the Federalist Society and Uline, the multi-billionaire who uh, funds far-right causes. But so far, the Democrats are not in trouble about money. If they haven't contacted the voters in Milwaukee, it's because they don't have an on-the-ground operation capable of doing that. And if they don't have an on-the-ground operation capable of doing that, the far-right certainly does. So it's not about money. It's about organization. If your money buys you organization and you use it effectively, you win, or you tend to win, or you have a big chance of winning. If you're just sending letters out the times that you and I both get, uh, soliciting money for Democrats for 2024, it's nonsense. They'll have plenty of money in 2024. They've got plenty of money now. They just need to be real in how they organize themselves. Right. Well, the, the Democrats choose to spend $20,000 for a minute of advertising, as opposed to uh, $20,000 for 200 hours or, or 2,000 hours of people knocking on doors. 
It's outrageous. And Larry, you're 100% right, and it's a great, a great to see you. So with, with Wisconsin, Emily, everybody, please contact Emily. Contact uh, uh, the Center for Common Ground. We will revisit this next week, which is the last weekend before the election. And uh, I, I won't go into great detail, but there is absolutely no doubt that this Supreme Court uh, race could decide the presidency in 24. Because if Wisconsin is once again um, a Jim Crowed and you had a Republican um, a leader in Milwaukee bragging about the thousands of people he prevented from voting in 2020 uh, and, the, and this most recent Supreme, uh, Senate race, then, you know, if 90% if of the people don't know about the election, what good is all this TV advertising? Uh, you, you can't even, it makes no sense. So Larry, thanks for that. They're exactly right. Uh, 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 I understand the Democrats so far have outspent the Republicans on TV, but they are expecting a tsunami of cash, and uh, we know what that can do. Does anyone else want to comment on uh, Wisconsin before we move ahead? Uh, Jeffrey, we had you early on. If you don't mind, I, I, we're going we're gonna to move on. Uh, okay. Um, Emily, thank you so much for that. We have 61 people on the line, and um, uh, their time, your time has been well spent, and we, we really appreciate it. If, and um, I know you're too Thanks young. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for all you do here. You're too young to remember the 1980 election, but um, us old timers are going to go into it. Uh, Larry Bensky, you, you and I did radio shows back in 1980 when you were on KPFA about the October surprise. And we have now had confirmation from a very high, uh, a guy who was very high ranking in 1980, that he, in fact, went to the Middle East with John Conley and talked to leaders of Middle Eastern countries, asking them to get the message to the Iranians to not release the hostages. Because if they didn't release the hostages, this is treason, by the way. This is a definition of treason. To ask him to not release the hostages so that Ronald Reagan could win and he would give them, quote, a better deal which is exactly what Nixon promised the South Vietnamese in 1968. Do you want to comment on that? I want to comment and say that if that's true, and there's no reason to believe these men didn't do what you say they said they now say they did, the person who was most at fault for this becoming the big uh, October surprise that it is was Jimmy Carter, the president of the United States. Jimmy Carter served in the seven years military service as an intelligence officer and an aide to General Hyman Rickover, the father of nuclear wars is said to be, uh, after World War II. Jimmy Carter as president had that background in intelligence. What on earth were his intelligence forces doing during that time right. if they didn't know what Connolly and others were doing? Either he was disinterested or he was lied to or he was badly served or he was incompetent. And I don't think he was any of those things. Uh, I'm very troubled by, uh, it's too late to ask him now. And unfortunately he's in terminal hospice care and um, surrounded by his loved ones. But I can't believe that people are now saying it's a surprise. The one person who it shouldn't have been a surprise to was Jimmy Carter, the one person who was most affected by this. And, and the same was true of Lyndon Johnson in 1968. Lyndon Johnson, had steaming proof, irrefutable proof that Richard Nixon called the Vietnamese 
and told him not to make it, or he had Lynn Chanel call, call and tell them not to make a deal. He, he heard the tapes. He confronted Nixon. Nixon, of course, denied it. But LBJ knew that Nixon committed treason in 68. And as you say, Jimmy Carter had to know that um, uh, uh, well, <laughs> Ronald Reagan may not have known. You know, we don't know what Ronald Reagan really knew, but certainly George H.W. Bush knew. And William Casey, who became head of the CIA, knew. And, that, and that treason was committed in 1980. And now this guy who made the trip with John Connolly to the Middle East has come out because he, wa he wanted to make it public before Jimmy Carter passed away. That's, what, that's mm -hmm. why he came out. Came out and, two days ago. It's in the New York and, Times. And Bill Casey was supposed to testify before Congress. Was it on this or on Iran Contra? And he suddenly got a fast growing cancer and was dead. Yes. So, you know, um, well, we, we live in, in a place where uh, democracy is, is a, a, a questionable commodity at this point. I mean, if a presidential candidate and, and two separate elections, 1968 and 1980, can intervene with a foreign power to the detriment of our foreign policy, essentially committing treason, and, and turn around and due to that treason, walk into the White House. What are we doing here, Larry? Do you want to, I mean, really? Well, um, I'd like to look a little bit forward because we have a much more serious uh, concern, I think, right now about the next election. And it's not about fundraising. It's about one of the people who is now most uh, brooded about as being a potential candidate in that election. And this is the governor of Florida, Governor DeSantis. Um, I came across this information from a blog in a podcast in Florida called Eyes Left. And I can see why the establishment media didn't pick it up. And I started writing to everybody I knew in the establishment media, I still have contacts from my days of Pacifica in the mainstream media, even though we weren't mainstream media. I knew a lot of people who were because I was in Washington a lot. And um, I wrote to everybody I still know who works in the mainstream media. And I said, check this out. Do your own reporting. Is it real? Did DeSantis really preside over torture at Guantanamo? Nobody did until last Saturday. The Washington Post came out with a long, heavily researched article saying DeSantis's pivotal service at Guantanamo during a violent year. And it talks about eyewitness accounts of DeSantis seeing and advocating for force feeding, which has internationally been condemned as torture, about three people in Guantanamo who are said to have committed simultaneous suicide even though every single cell at Guantanamo, and they don't have cells, they have open cages. Every single cell was watched 24 seven. These people weren't all together. They were in separate cells, in many cases separated by yards and yards of other cells. How did they kill themselves simultaneously by hanging? From what did they hang? What did they use to hang themselves? This whole thing is murder and torture. And DeSantis was up to his neck about it. And now he is never questioned about it. And when he is questioned gently by people at Fox News, you can't expect to have any interest in finding out the truth about this. Uh, he's, he just passes over it. He says, well, I did my military service. These people were terrorists. We did what we had to do to protect our country. And I was part of it. And his superior officer says, he's proud of what he did. 
as superior officer and by implication of what DeSantis did. Is, of course, the last person in the world who could confront him about this would be Donald Trump, should they ever come to debating uh, on the course of seeking the nomination. And um, Nikki Haley and Mike Pence, you don't expect much from them either. But uh, I find it ludicrous that the New York Times to this day, if Harvey, you remember people used to say, the last thing you wanted to see in a New York Times story was the Washington Post reported today. <laughs> the last thing you wanted to see in a Washington Post story was the New York Times reported today. They are competitive organizations and the competition for eyeballs, for clicks, for copies sold, for mentions, for citations is as ferocious today as it ever was. Both are owned by multimillionaires. Um, Jeff Bezos uh, of Amazon, um, a wicked company, owns the Washington Post. He says he hasn't interfered. Uh, Murdoch, of course, owns the Wall Street Journal. We don't expect much from them. And the New York Times has wealthy private owners as well. So uh, they're all competitive with each other. They're not competitive so much for the truth as for who can be seen to be presenting, in a way, uh, sensational material. This will be sensational material, but I don't see it on CNN. I don't see it on MSNBC. I don't expect to see it on Fox. And I don't expect to see it anywhere in the mainstream media. DeSantis has a lot of explaining to do why somebody who claims to be on the side of justice and the United States democracy participated in what the International Criminal Court and the American Red, and the International Red Cross and other groups and organizations have said was torture. Why was he part of it? What was his role? And how going forward would he be a president of the United States with that kind of attitude? Who would he torture next? Probably all of us who appear on this program. He'll probably torture Stormy Daniels. Um, um, thank you for that very beautiful, eloquent statement. And I actually was not aware uh, of this of this part of the record. So this is something we need to explore on hey, these now, calls. Harvey, and, uh, and before we have we presented that before we have. Uh, before we have Wendy, who has a lot to say about DeSantos, I want to thank you, Larry. I mean, Sunday mornings on KPFA, New York Times, all the news fit to print was a great show, sometimes with your mom. All the on-the-ground reporting of uh, Iran conscious straight from the hearings, from all the other hearings, went back to Watergate. We miss you dearly. The coup that took place in KPFA targeted you and other station heads. You lost your jobs on that around, you know, over 20 years ago. So thank you. And it's good to see you. You know, you knew me as Kit, Ricka, at that time. <laughs> wow, fantastic. Great for that. And uh, this is important stuff. Wendy, um, um, uh, have you been tortured by Ron DeSantis? And um, uh, uh, who do you know who has been? Well, mentally and spiritually slightly, but I'm sure there are people that have had it much worse. Um, I appreciate what, what Larry had just shared with us because it's so profound. And I mean, it's a profound statement of the omissions in, in the press, exactly that. And I think one thing that ties it together is, um, you know, the, the NDAA, which is the um, security budget, the, the military budget for the year was just passed. And in it, Biden approved and whoever voted for it approved to extend Gitmo for another year. 
I mean, this is yesterday was the 20 year anniversary of the invasion of Iraq. And we, you know, we, we know that Gitmo is like against all human rights violations, yet we're still keeping it open. We still have all the same provisions that people can't be, you know, extradited to the United States. I mean, this is indefinite detention without trial. Like, what are we doing as a country? And, and then we look and, you know, and in the context of, um, we're talking about October surprise, which I was actually born just a couple of weeks before in September of 1980. So it's, I just feel ironic being here discussing it now. Um, but we were looking at Nord Stream and we, we have evidence now that we actually provoked this war that we're spending hundreds of millions, billions of dollars on, you know, while our society and our infrastructure and, and our, like we have hungry people in the streets, dying, sick, they don't have health care. we have starving kids. I mean, go on and on and on, yet we're sending money to Ukraine when we found out that we blew up the pipeline. And you have all the progressives voting for this. You Even Bernie is, is defending us still continuing to send weapons there. So just in the context of, of what we're seeing with Jimmy Carter and every major, you know, debacle we've gotten into in the last, you know, my whole lifetime, um, like, like, what are we doing? What, like, it's I, I, I again I just I, I stumble and on my words to even think about the reality well, um and I blame the press. So um well we have Wendy on also with Carolina and, and uh, from uh, Florida and um, the the question is how does this fit into the larger pattern of who is Ron DeSantis? I mean you know is he going to start handing out pink triangles to gay people in in Florida? Um, uh, is this what we're dealing with, Larry? Uh, Harvey, if I can answer that, I have uh, I said I sent out as many alerts as I could to people in the mainstream media to investigate DeSantis's role in torture at Guantanamo. I have similarly sent out to a much narrower spectrum uh, a lot of emails and a lot of interrogatories to people at Yale. I'm a Yale graduate myself. And we have various groups at Yale that meet for various reasons online on Zooms. And I've said, somebody needs to be researching what DeSantis studied at Yale. Who did he study with? What courses were there? And similarly, I've sent them to Harvard, to people at the Harvard Crimson. What did DeSantis study at Harvard Law School? Who taught those courses? Were these people themselves allied with uh, the multiferous high funding sources that fund Yale University and Harvard University to have so two of the biggest endowments on the planet in education. And what did DeSantis study there and who were his influencers, who was influenced on him? How could a man go through a liberal arts education like DeSantis did at two eminent institutions like that? And we're not talking about Liberty University here or some right-wing nutcase uh, school that has been set up by um, true believers and election deniers and God freaks. Uh, we're talking about eminent educational institutions with broad spectrums of professors and instructors who helped make me the person I was, and I'm eternally grateful to them for that. But what did they teach DeSantis and what was DeSantis's reaction? He should be asked this if I was ever on a panel, which I certainly won't be and it wouldn't have been, that questioning DeSantis, I would say, what do you remember about your education? Governor, what do you remember about human rights? What do you remember about the history of warfare? What do you remember about Nazi Germany? What do you remember about Mussolini's Italy? 
What do you remember about Stalin? What do you remember about the millions and millions of people who died just for who they were, not what they believed, but who they were and what they were? What did you learn about that? And how is it different now? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and and uh, you wonder how, well, anyway, Larry, you said it better than I could. Um, uh, Wendy and Carolina are in Florida um, and you were gonna give us basically a laundry list to flush out uh, what we're trying to figure out about who is the real Ron DeSantis. Can you tell us um, as, as we go here, um, what are the policies we have until the top of the hour. We have a dead stop at the top of the hour because we're going to be joined by Heidi Hutner to talk about her film at Three Mile Island. And, and so, um, Carolyn and uh, Wendy, can you fill us in on what exactly Ron DeSantis is doing policy-wise in Florida? Now, this is a nonpartisan discussion. We're not taking it to the side of Democrats or Republicans. We just want to know what is this guy about? Yeah, and um, I'd, I'd like to just quickly respond to what Larry's saying, too, is, um, you know, like, a, I think a lot of weird people, like, there's a lot of, let's say, just secrecy that happens within these organizations of these higher up um, Ivy League. And what's, um, Sluggo, you brought up a point right before we started recording about, like, questioning what's, what does sociopaths, like, really mean? And I, I've heard in the past where, you know, someone doesn't really have feelings towards other humans and they're willing to do like these are the people that rise to power because they'll do whatever they need to do to to get there and without any qualm about it um i'm gonna go to my uh, other screen to look at this list but what i want to make the point is that these are a lot of other people not desantis introducing these legislations so i, I call them the minions and they're people that we're gonna have to look out for um sorry if there's background noise but these are the people that I think like moving up in the ranks. I mean, these are the ones that we're going to have to look for in the future. So, okay. and, and, and what do we got? What, what, what are they doing exactly? So there's, I mean, it's so hard to say like where to even start. There's all these crazy um, environmental ones. There's, there's a few for education and um, some immigration things and, uh, and uh, discrimination um, against homosexuality and all I'll, and the labor as well. I'll, I'll let um I'll probably let Carolina talk about some of these things. But I mean, there's one here now that um if you want to film the police, you have to stay um 30 feet away. Um, they want to make it so like there's one on local ordinances. Um, it it uh oh it authorizes um well there's one that um they have similar titles. Sorry, I tried to um make it so that I can understand them all, but they have um. They're, they're worded so weird that it's like you really have to um read into every single one, even with my best notation here. So they want to make it so that you can't um have local uh local regulation. Um here we go. Permitting permit prohibiting counties and municipalities from adopting laws, regulations, rules, or policies relating to water quality or quality pollution control, anything that has to do with water quality. Um, energy regulation. Um, it wants to prohibit, like it, it, it prohibits prohibiting certain building materials or um, ad adapting enforcement against uh, certain um, like greenhouse gases. Like there can't be any regulation against greenhouse gases, um, and it it allows preemption by the state. Um, they want to use phosphogypsum 
to um, make to build roads for a road construction aggregate material, but phosphogypsum is the radioactive waste um, from when they produce fertilizer, and fertilizer is the main culprit behind like blue green algae. You know, the pollution problems that we see comes from that industry, and they're trying to ramp it up. They're trying to protect the industries by making anyone who wants to sue the a local government for um for any uh destruction of their wetlands like they'll they'll be required to pay attorney fees um and it it'll make it harder um it makes it easier for corporations to sue the governments it makes it harder for people to sue the corporations it makes it harder for um for you to have claims against the insurance companies like the insurance companies are going to have more more breath uh to not be held liable and not have to fulfill claims um there's uh and any of the the recommendations from the blue blue green algae task force that um DeSantis was like so proud of none of them have been recommend um put into practice so the the environment is just getting completely decimated they just want to hand it all to the corporations um they want to um oh here's one that you'll like there's or you won't like but there's one it, it authorizes municipalities to impose or collect a surcharge on utility companies so they want to just allow more charges on utility companies. They want to make it so that landlords can Im impose like random fees instead of doing um, security deposits. So like they could even hand over claims to insurance companies so that these like random fees for damages can be collected by the the companies against tenants when we are we're in a housing crisis, a homeless crisis. Um, they want to do a six week abortion ban instead of fifteen weeks. And I'll make it so that um, only doctors can prescribe uh, abortion pills. It can't come through the mail. Um, they have some now. Um, some what about uh, education. What about banning a uh, discussion of slavery in schools? Yeah, Carolina is actually. I was going to um, defer to her when um, she, but I was about to say something about um, that. Uh, Carolina, she's started a couple of. Um, adjunct professor unions and she's been a, a medical professor so I was going to defer to her that to that but um they want to make it so that um little like you can't even discuss menstruation under grade six so any girls that that start menstruating before um say like 12 years old or whatever they, they won't be able to talk about it in the classroom and so they won't have any access they won't know what contraception is you're gonna have all these little girls getting pregnant and they're gonna have to be forced to keep the baby um, so that that's a, another one. Um, and of course, uh, Florida, Ron DeSantis has <laughs> stepped forward with a massive bill to make sure that all the babies are properly taken care of. Is that right? <laughs> no, sorry, yeah, no. that was a bad joke. And at the same time, he he is mandating that that girls that are already having their period, so after puberty, they they are supposed to report that to their coaches and to to, to their schools, and so, but but they cannot talk about their periods amongst themselves. That's that's also banned. <laughs> <laughs> what about this guy? What about this guy who was fired from Axios for uh, criticizing DeSantis? Yeah, there's um some discrimination bills where it's going to say that um that journalists don't have uh, privilege as journalists, like they could be sued for defamation if they say anything that the the representatives don't want to hear about themselves. Like, like I'm calling it the "Don't Say Racist" bill. 
Um, I, I just want to say, and one quick point, and then I'll, I'll defer to um, Carolina, so I'm not taking up all the time here, but um, you mentioned the, um, you know, the critical race theory and talking about racism in the classrooms. Meanwhile, there's a, a bill that is to protect monuments so that, it, and it's like, it, it's to amend the constitution so that in the constitution, it'll be illegal to remove any Confederate monuments, but you're not allowed to talk about the racist history in Florida. So, oh, um, there's still Confederate monuments in, in Florida? I'm sure yeah. there's there's plenty. I mean, we have like road, yeah, we like roads and I'm sure in the North too, like and, keep, and we're in South Florida and it's a, a different world than Central and North Florida. North Florida is like deep South, like there really should be two different states, but um, and there, there's so many, just the immigration ones and I'll, I'll pass it, but like, I'm just so disgusted by these immigration um bills that they want to make it, they want to make it a felony to house or drive to have in your car or have in your home someone who's undocumented even if it's your spouse even if it's your own family yeah no and on top of that there's another bill that 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 make it makes it reportable at hospitals that 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 you have an undocumented person. And so, so not only you are persecuted, you cannot be transported, you, can, you cannot be housed, but you cannot receive medical treatment either. So they ex expect you to, to die like, you know, like an animal on the, on the road. Uh, so and it's- The, uh, the uh, crackdown on freedom of speech is really significant there. Um, um, I guess they're very serious about preventing uh, uh, a, a journalist from criticizing the uh, DeSantis personally, or so fortunately, that bill is so poorly written that that even the Republicans are not going to pursue that bill uh, as it's written anymore. So it it there, has not moved. There's a couple of them though. I don't know if you're aware of that because there's the one that where it's like the bloggers have to register uh -huh. with the state, That's and the yeah, one. and. Yeah, apparently DeSantis said he wouldn't sign it, but there's actually a couple more that I oh. found. Yeah, okay. that that actually, and I, I put the list in the chat. I mean, I can screen share real quick if you want, but it's just, it's a long list of the um the summaries, but I'll, I'm gonna screen share really quick if you guys don't mind, so I can show this to you. Please, and, um, and you. we will, um, um, you'll compile this list and oh my God, look at this. Yeah, um, so, and- you know, the, we, we, we're, we're Highlighting DeSantis, I personally am, Larry, maybe you can comment on this and then we're going to uh, move on. But I personally find DeSantis to be the scariest politician uh, that I have seen in America uh, forever. I was petrified of Nixon, but this guy is a liberal. I mean, uh, Nixon was a liberal compared to this guy. Larry, do you want to comment on that real quick? Or were you around and uh, conscious and sensitive when Barry Goldwater was a politician in this country? Yeah, but Gary Barry Goldwater was actually pro-choice. Were you? Yeah, of course, I might have had one standard. Were you around when Pat Buchanan was a politician in this country? I was, but I find DeSantis uh, a really terrifying. And well, I, I don't know about terrifying. I don't think it, it serves anybody's purpose to be terrified. What I'd like to say is that uh, in trying to dictate curriculums and behavior of school children, um, they're fighting a battle in the past. If you tell girls, adolescent girls or pre-adolescent girls that they can't discuss their periods in class, 
guess what? They're going to discuss it at recess. They all have their cell phones. They're going to look up what's a period. And they all know anyway, <laughs> by the time they're 10 or 11 years old, from their mothers, from their sisters, from TV, from everything they look at online. And similarly with racism, you think you're going to tell black people that it's because of wokeism that suddenly the blacks in this country have woken to the fact that slavery was a murderous, vicious, uh, anti-human practice, and that it had continued well into the 20th century. You think you're going to tell them that, no, that couldn't have happened? Guess what? They know it. Their families know it. Their communities know it. Their churches know it. Everybody knows it. And in, all they're doing is inflaming the constituency on the far right, which is overwhelmingly white and male, uh, about these issues and making it seem as if the schools are indoctrinating these kids. Life is indoctrinating these kids. So is history. Well, listen, uh -huh. I, we have to continue this. Wendy and Carolina and Larry and Patanka, I hope you can all come back next week. Can I make one quick comment, Harvey? And then one I have one quick one too after. One very quick comment. It's not just Florida. Uh, on a film screaming of the boys who said no, Winter Dellenbach, who was in that film on the Vietnam draft resistance, lives in LA. She's an attorney. She's gone to dozens and dozens, I think 60 or 70 high schools. And the first question she asked the high school kids, because the draft is legally in place and teachers are encouraged to invite military recruiters into the classroom. First question she asked is, how many of you have heard of something called the Vietnam War? <laughs> the most she's ever gotten out of a classroom of students is two. It's usually one or none. They, there's there's amnesia. They're not taught it in the schools or they don't remember it. Well, you, in order to have amnesia, you have to have known something and then forgotten it. And then, yeah, yeah. Because you remember Jeb Bush when he was. No, governor, we impose amnesia, is what I'm saying. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, you'll remember that Jeb Bush, when he was governor of Texas, uh, opposed teaching history. <laughs> so. Also, one of the things she suggested, she has set up an archive in the main branch of the LA Public Library for people, anybody to put their memories of the Vietnam War in there. And she's had 14,000 people make contributions. So that's wow. something we need to do everywhere on our history, because if we don't write about it, remember it and make sure it's stored in the story told in books and in films and in person to person, there will be this collective amnesia by our inaction imposed. Yeah. But Amazing. So listen, what I want to do is next week, Wendy, if you'll publish this list of Ron DeSantis's agenda with Carolina here. And next week, we, we've been promising for weeks and weeks to deal with the question of what is fascism and are we facing fascism in this country? And uh, is, what, is Ron DeSantis a fascist or is he just a, a regular conservative? This is stuff that we need to deal with uh, next week, if you can, Wendy uh, and Carolina, provide us that list, and uh, it, it would be great. We're gonna we'll finally deal with this question of fascism, and is it legitimate to call Ron DeSantis a fascist? Again, it's a nonpartisan discussion, uh, but it's one we need to have. Okay, so I hope we can all uh, come together on that. We good? Yeah, may I say one one quick point, if you don't mind? Thank you. And and Larry, while you're still here, really quick, um, just the one thing that does make DeSantis really terrifying, actually, is that the way he takes the law into his own hands, I think, is unprecedented. The way that he went around um, funding school board races 
and then um, fired all the superintendents the way he redrew our district maps against the constitutional review. So we only have eight Democratic seats and 20 Republican seats, and it went unchallenged completely by the Democratic Party. It, it's These are new ways of governing that we haven't seen where he acts like he's king, he thinks he's king. It's not like normal. It's not like it's just not normal. And it's it's new. <laughs> so An example make- of that, uh, and uh, it reinforces what you were saying, Larry, is, for example, there's there's, there's Bill 150 that, that talks about lowering the, the the age for you to carry a gun. And and also um, it's for, for open carry. Uh, so allows open carry in, in the state. This one had 400 people that called and left messages to their representatives in the committees where the, this was going to be heard, but it did pass the committee anyway, even though there were only two people were uh, speaking in favor of the bill. One was an NRA uh, okay. lobbyist and the other one was uh, the, the lobbyist for another one of those program organizations. So two lobbyists versus 400 people. There were rallies with the Moms Demand Action and a lot of other organizations. And even though the numbers were completely opposite, uh, these these things are still passing because because this is what the governor wants and and yes he is a fascist and we need to, to well we need to discuss that and we're going to have to move on thank you Carolina and Larry and and um, uh, next week uh, uh, Wendy we'll p- uh, keep this going uh, Tatanka I hope you'll be with us and Carl we sure. need some of the geezers here to who remember Nixon to uh, 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 Ch- and Reagan to chime in on this. Uh, we're going to segue now real quickly. Thank you, my listeners in New York. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks, um, Thanks Larry. Mary will get your questions next week. Uh, we have to move. Heidi Hutner is with us. She's on a very tight schedule. Heidi, uh, can we unmute you and uh, maybe see you? And if you'll put your the link to your um, uh, trailer in the chat, uh, we'll do this. I do want to get this in quickly. Um, um, Heidi is the uh, maker of a new film called Women of Three Mile Island. Uh, Radioactive, the women of Three Mile Island. Okay, and it it, it uncovers uh, one of the biggest lies ever told in American history, which is the Mm -hmm. idea, uh, the complete falsehood that no one was harmed at Three Mile Island. Mm -hmm. And I went to Three Mile Island, the central Pennsylvania, um, in uh, January of 1980. I interviewed people uh, in their farmhouses. It was the worst week of my life. And I will guarantee you, that people died in droves at Three Mile Island. And now, all these years later, uh, Heidi has come forward with a film uh, to document it. Heidi, can you tell us about this film, please? Sure, and I don't know why I'm not, you can't see me on the screen. I have no idea what that's about. Um, So I made this film because I've been doing, I've been writing about and working on women and nuclear issues for, you see, I don't know, it's bizarre. I'm on Zoom all the time. I never had this happen. Anyway, um, I've been working on women and nuclear issues for years, um, and I write about it, and I teach about it. In fact, I just got out of my undergraduate class teaching about it. Um, It says someone has stopped my video. I don't know. Um, But in any case, it's, it's a subject that I work on all the time, and I was starting to make a film about women and nuclear disasters in various locations. I don't know, um, we, I don't, I'm 
and I was invited to come speak at Three Mile Island for their 39th anniversary of the meltdown. And I brought my camera person with me and we, we just came upon these four amazing women. And I've spent the past who, who lived through the meltdown, who lived five miles from the meltdown. And I have spent the past five years there filming. Uh, a study has come, a really important study is in process that's come out of that. I'm a part of that study, but it's with top scientists in the field of chromosomal damage from radiation exposures at the only lab in the world capable of doing the work we're doing. So some amazing, amazing things have come out of it. We're on the festival circuit. We're doing our first at our premiere. We won best documentary. Uh, Jane Fonda's in it. So, uh, you know, it's a really great, not that, you know, that makes everything, but it's pretty cool. Um, and we, 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 we're really proud of the film. It's really fabulous. And so we're on, we're on tour. Um, if anyone wants to keep up with our information, I'm going to put my, our website in the uh, in the chat box so that you can sign up for our mailing list. Promise not to inundate you. We basically send out announcements of our screenings. Right now, we're headed to the Washington D.C. Environmental Film Festival Saturday night. We're showing there. We're doing a tribute to the people of Three Mile Island. Um, and at Harrisburg, we have a screening Sunday and Monday night. We have a screening in Long Island at the Huntington Film Center in Nyack. We're going to be in Iowa, Sarasota, California. Uh, just we're we're being called all over the place. So I will put you, um you, you have a, a, a trailer. Uh, Steve, can we yeah, I'm gonna show, show you the trailer. The trailer it's three it's three and, minutes, right? Uh, no, it's I 1. actually 5. have a, I have a tip about how you can um, be visible, Heidi. Mm -hmm. That is if you happen to have FaceTime on, on your computer, if you turn that off. That oh. that may be disabling the video for Zoom, so you might want to. No, check. and I I I mean I'm on Zoom. Okay, well let's do the let's show the trailer here. Do okay, we have I'm going to show the trailer. trailer. Yep, yeah, I'm going to just. And how just long get... is the trailer? One point five minutes. Okay, let's go for it. Hold on two secs. I'm sorry. We have Fifty five people with you, and um, I will tell you that I wrote a piece for Rolling Stone about the damage done to human beings in Three Mile Island. Um, after the accident in 1980, and they wouldn't publish it. it and so as a result of that, I actually got to the uh, op-ed page I'm, editor. I'm ready to go here whenever. I got to the op-ed editor, editor page and editor of the New York Times, and they published it. Let's see this now. Go ahead. Okay. Can you guys see it? Yes. Can't see me, but you can see it, more importantly. Okay. Once the accident happened, we started getting phone calls asking if we had heard about Three Mile Island yet. They are having a meltdown. It was the first step in a nuclear nightmare. There is no cause for alarm or any reason to disrupt your daily routine. Officials were lying about what was really happening. When an accident like Three Mile Island happens, the first line of duty is to reassure the public. The safety systems were designed to take care of this kind of an accident, as our safety systems did. I was being told the media is blowing it up. The reactor core is indeed stable. All I kept thinking was, hopefully I got my kids out of town in time. But I've come to find out I didn't. My whole world was turned inside out. Three Mile Island blew up like an atom bomb. 
people have suffered an exposure equivalent to 100,000 x-rays. Radiation is more harmful to females. That's the first time we've had cancer in our family history. We will see an increase in the cancer epidemic that is already running rampant in this country. Everybody went rushing to see the China syndrome to try to figure out what had really happened at Three Mile Island. So much radioactivity was coming off of the reactor, the monitors couldn't read it. The company covered it up, it all came out. All hell broke loose. Most of the people here have been arrested and taken away. It's one of the biggest cover-ups in history. They lied and lied and lied. I can't keep living like this. I need answers. It's possible using new technologies, testing the people affected by the accidents to see what level of genetic damage is there. This is my family that they played with. Do not believe what the company tells you and question everything the government tells you. Okay. I guess we're being visually challenged today, but uh, that's pretty powerful Aging stuff. Aging skin. Whoa. Watch this. Let's oh try this. Okay. Um, uh, so... You interviewed uh, how many women for this film? I'm so, uh, could you repeat that, Harvey? How many women did you interview for this film? Oh, I probably interviewed, I don't even know. But we ended up focusing on four, I mean, probably 50. I, I can't even count. But we focused on these four women who were activists together. They, they were the ones who lived right in the center of the plume and, and the study that we're doing. Uh, they, they banded together right after the, um, the meltdown and they worked together and they, they were part of this Middletown mothers group, very, very active, still active. And we, we focused on them and their families, although we brought in other people who were all there, all local. Those two lawyers you saw worked on the restart case. Um, we have the, the, a female, it's all, you know, it's very women centric. The female journalist who was one of the first on the ground to report, it was her boss, Mike Pintek, who broke the story. Um, you know, it's that, it's this very intimate of the town experience and the community there. Yeah, it's a beautiful community, very conservative, very, um, you know, uh, tied to the land. Mm -hmm. When I was there, I worked with uh, two women, Jane Lee and mm -hmm. Mary Osborne, mm -hmm. and they did uh, their own survey of Laura Swatara County. Mm -hmm. They knocked on more than 500 doors and did an epidemiological study that showed that cancer was rampant in the area. Mm -hmm. At the same time that the state of Pennsylvania and the utility was saying nobody was harmed. It's outrageous. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. And the, and the thing that that was a survey and, you know, there's a lot to it. I mean, we've been, been studying this now forever and ever and working with all the scientists involved. We, um, you know, there's a lot to it. I, I'm not going to stay on for too long today, but um, I would welcome, you know, I would, you, I recommend you guys um, sign up at our website because you're going to see where our screenings are and we'd love to have you. And also we'll share with you what's going on. Um, oh, and the lab, you want to know the lab contact. Well, the lab, I mean, we have, we have, um, I'm not sure what you, Ron, can you ask me specifically what your question is about the lab? Uh, did you get a, 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 a which Ron asked me, about? can you share your contact? And yes, my contact here, I'm going to put my email also here. You guys can all write to me and ask me questions. 
um because we're really screening all over and things are happening very quickly for us so, so it's h j h u t n e r at gmail dot com yeah and you can google me i mean i'm at the i'm at stony brook university heidi hutner um i come you know i'm pretty easy to find so the lab uh, is in uh, it's called chromatid they do very very specialized work um, on chromosomal studies, it's chromosomal damage from radiation, and they have the capacity to look back over 40 years. We haven't really had that technology till now. The Russians did a similar study straight out um, really soon after the meltdown, and they found um, damage from the radiation in the chromosomes of 39 people there. But 39, you know, it wasn't a complete study. They also, that's those same scientists saw uh, deformation, malformations in the tops of trees, which is all which is also indicative of the radiation exposures. But, you know, it wasn't a complete study. And so um, it was thrown out as part of that court case. Well, and I would point out that the, uh, the um, Nuke supporters also also say that the uh, health impacts of Chernobyl were minimal. Right. And yet right. there was a study done by three Russians that mm -hmm. uh, said that over a million people were killed by the radiation from right. Chernobyl. And so, you know, and then Fukushima, you know, we're hearing people say no one was harmed. Right. Fukushima, you gotta be kidding me. Right. Uh, anyway, um, uh, Heidi, I know you've got to run. I do, unfortunately, but I'd be happy to come back and talk more about it. And um, I welcome you guys stay in touch with me and please come see our film. We're, we're, we're going to more and more festivals and locations and hope to be on air soon. So thank right. you so the much, anniversary, The anniversary of the accident is March 28th. Uh, 1979, tomorrow. yeah. And, um, you know, I'll never forget it. We should probably have Levy Halevi come on next week because she was at Three Mile Island when this happened, when the accident happened. We're That's also, um, we're screening in DC this Saturday and we'll be in Harrisburg on Sunday and then Sarasota on the following Friday. I mean, it's just constant. It's, we're going everywhere. Oh, great. So it's about time. It's amazing that it's taken all these years. What is it since 1979? Uh, 40, uh, 45 years for a film like this to come out. Yeah. And to make it clear that people were harmed at Three Mile Island. I know Myla Resson, uh, Myla recently have a lot of history with this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to go jump in the ocean and then go to my daughter's uh, uh, celebration. Uh, but uh, I do want to thank you, uh, Heidi, for coming on with us and especially for making this film. Uh, do, do we have uh, your chat? Your contacts are in the chat, uh, the link to the film is there and um, uh, we need to continue to question these ridiculous numbers uh, that the nuclear industry likes to put out uh, about people not being harmed. And I will say that one of the reasons that they're, they're so dishonest is that at Three Mile Island, the stack monitor, the stack monitors were saturated. So they have absolutely no idea how much radiation escaped right. from Three Mile Island or where it went. And we also had a thermoluminescent dosimeter, which is a radiation monitoring device that went off scale in the Northwest Quadrant, which is exactly where we expected the radiation to go. I wanna give kudos on this to Ernest Sternglass, who's no longer with us, who unveiled a lot of this stuff in the beginning. He was a real a guiding genius on this. Well, there, uh, there, thank you so much. Myla, do you, you. wanna chime in on this and talk to us about atomic radiation?
I'm just going to say two more words. Xenon 133, they do have records of the amount and where it went. And that's what Aaron Datesman, who's in our film, he reevaluates what Xenon does and those kinds of numbers in that particular situation. And it exact was quite harmful according to his calculations. And that's why it was like getting an X-ray for 24 hours. That's 50,000 to 100,000 X-rays. Right. That is and significant. I will point out that the whole field of radiation and health was uh, unveiled by X-rays. The, the company at the time was putting out these ads and they're saying, don't worry, the radiation from the nuke is equivalent of a single chest X-ray. Right. Everybody, which is utter nonsense. Yeah, every five minutes. What's that? Every five minutes. Yes, and the fact <laughs> is that the, the first serious documentation of radiation impacts in a, in a major scientific study linked a, a single X-ray to exactly. a pregnant woman, woman to a doubling of mm -hmm. childhood leukemia. In and I believe, words, I believe that was <coughs> Dr. Alice Stewart. Yeah, that's correct. That, that work. Yeah. Sluggo, okay. Wendy, and Mike and Steve, you're going to take over now. I'm going to jump in the ocean. We'll yeah, see you next week. Uh, same time, we will have we will further this discussion of is Ron DeSantis a fascist? And I do want to point out before I leave one shocking moment I never thought I'd see on Fox News. Tucker Carlson had a whole segment on Julian Assange supporting him and supporting his father and brother. I'll leave it at that. Myla and Heidi, if you'll take over and continue this discussion, Steve, um, uh, Mike, uh, Wendy uh, will continue. And we'll see you, everybody, next week. Okay, so no nukes. And take care. Take care, everybody. I have to go, too. Okay, Myla, it's all yours. Oh, okay. Well, it's all mine. Well, Myla and Wendy and Steve and Mike, if you want to continue this as long, folks, uh, if you're still on with us, there's 51, but I have to go. I'll see you next week, five o'clock, same time, same place. Thank you so much. Well, good luck to Abby Mazel Tov. Thank you, Mazel Tov. Really Con right. Congratulations to her. I will I, give, you, give her my best. Take care. Can you, can you see this on the screen? Um, yes. A famous quote by John Goffman, licensing a nuclear power plant is, in my view, licensing random premeditated murder. First of all, when you license a plant, you know what you're doing, so it's premeditated. You can't say, I didn't know. Second, the evidence of radiation producing cancer is beyond doubt. It is not a question anymore. Radiation produces cancer and the evidence is good all the way down to the lowest doses. So um, Heidi, are you still with us? Or did you have to go? She had she to, have to go. At, at any rate, um, I just wanted to say that um, Harvey mentioned uh, Dr. Ernest Sternglass, who wrote a paper early on about, uh, about the dangers of ionizing radiation on human health. At that time, uh, John Goffman, who was a medical doctor and a physician, who was responsible for um, creating the technology that, um, <clears throat> that, was, that enabled the nuclear bomb builders to, uh, to create an isotope of plutonium that was used in nuclear bombs. He, uh, 
he was in charge of health physics at Lawrence Livermore Lab in Northern California, Dr. John Goffman was. And when Ernest Sternglass published a paper showing the links between ionizing radiation and human health, Goffman was tasked with, um, with, with disproving Ernest Sternglass, the work of Ernest Sternglass, linking radiation to human health. And um, Goffman uh, did his studies and said, well, no, not at all. In fact, Sternglass is right. Everything that uh, Sternglass is saying about the, the links between ionizing radiation and human health are absolutely correct. So um, he became uh, a kind of a persona non grata, uh, Goffman did. They cut the funding for his work at Lawrence Livermore Lab. I think he, you know, they, you know, they just totally cut his budget because he had um, actually told the truth about the links between ionizing radiation and health. Tatanka, how would you uh, help us here and and talk a little bit about the link between uh, nuclear power and um, bomb building? Yeah, thank you. Well, I don't know how many people know now what we knew back in the day, those of us that knew it was going on. Nuclear power was generated, is exists for the creation of fissile material for nuclear weapons. They they did this thing to, to promote nuclear power with slogans like too cheap to meter, uh, completely 100% safe. I mean, it was, it was going to be the answer to energy and to safety. Uh, it was really clear that that wasn't what was happening. Um, I don't even know if most people know the, the Karen Silkwood story, a nuclear plant in Oklahoma, where Karen Silkwood, who was a nuclear worker, and Danny Sheehan and Sarah Nelson did uh, amazing work on this. They're the one that brought it to light. She wasn't just killed on her way to report to a New York Times reporter uh, about the radiation of, of workers in the plant, the unionized workers at the plant, but also to say that she had evidence that fissile material, a significant amount, was being sent to both Israel and Iran. The whole purpose for the existence of nuclear power, which I, I'm fond of saying it's the most dangerous and expensive way to boil water known to the human family. The whole reason for it is for the continued existence of material for nuclear weapons. It's tied to our, at this point, this whole shifting and calling nuclear green be you know to to create a which is not true but to basically avoid talking about radiation number one and avoid talking about why they exist in the first place people haven't really looked at the money that's been going up for the last decade up into the sky it's a couple trillion dollars <clears throat> and what they call an upgrade in our nuclear technology is that not that it's a new space race it's an ia assisted nuclear space war going on right now 
and they need fissile material for all the weaponry that we exist on the ground and for the weapons in the sky. That's the reason we even have nuclear power. And that can't be lost in this whole discussion. Tatanka, I'd really like to just like piggyback on that really, really quick, because you and I have actually um, been discussing a lot about, um, you know, climate change and how it affects national security. And we've been looking over the defense budget that for fiscal year 2023. And there's all kinds of new programs in there that um, fund just new nuclear programs, whether it's space, um, just new types of weapons, new departments. And then it's also ramping up nuclear energy. And then it'll say like, here's a hundred million for like other purposes. And then right below it is for new, new uh, nuclear energy. And it's just, and there's, um, there's Senate bills that erase the line and allow the Department of Energy to supply the DOD. Like the money is already being funneled. The, the chess pieces are already being moved, but nobody's reading the thousands and thousands of pages of the National Defense Authorization Act that uh, both Wendy, sides uh, are. Thank you. Uh, I, I would really like to bring Carl Grossman into the conversation, if that's okay with you. Um, if you just finish up and then let's hear. Yeah, I was, just, I was I, just about, yeah, I'd love to hear from him too. I was just finishing and that was, that was my point. But um, thank you. Thank you for that. I, I just want to, before I give the floor to, to uh, Professor Grossman, I just want to say that um, Tatanka, you may have noticed that uh, in their move to um, abrogate the agreement to shut down the uh, Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant, there were, there were groups like Mothers for Green Nuclear Power who testified, and they seemed to have the ear of very influential Democrats who controlled the legislature in, uh, in the state of California. But um, if, uh, oh, I had asked Carl to unmute and you're having a conversation. I'm gonna ask you again, Carl, to unmute because for some reason you're muted again. And uh, try again. Oh. oh, I think I stepped on that. Um, one more time, I'm going to click Ask to Unmute. And now, Carl, please give it a try and see if we can get your mic going. We don't have it yet. Try again. Okay, I'm the only one who's going to press. Oh, good, you're. We can okay. hear you now. Yay! Yeah, well, Yay. this is a subject I know uh, pretty well. I did a documentary. In fact, you can view it 30 years ago, in 1993, called Three Mile Island Revisited. Uh, it starts so if it's on the website of my nonprofit video company, Enviro Video. Just go to envirovideo.com and. Go to the documentary page, and you can watch Three Mile Island Revisited. And I I begin it um, uh, standing in front of the uh, the two nuclear power plants uh, in the background, saying uh, the nuclear industry claims no one died at the accident, and I point to uh, and to uh, the Three Mile Island too, and so forth. But don't tell that to the people in Goldsboro. This is the town where the, uh, the nuclear plants are. Uh, and then I get into how there was a cancer epidemic. Uh, essentially, it's, it's what Heidi has now done. 
uh, without all this chromosomal research and so forth. Again, it was 30 years ago. Uh, I interview a variety of people, including uh, one woman who, the deal was that the utility um, settled these lawsuits one after another, but with a uh, essentially a gag order that people couldn't wouldn't be able to talk about uh, what they got the the, the million dollars for. Uh, but one woman uh, decided to do it. Uh, she was pregnant at the time of the accident, and her child was born with Down syndrome. And uh, that's about three or four minutes of the uh, of the documentary as this poor little kid, you can hear him in the background, uh, talking about the, the damage done to, to her life and to her family and to her son. And then uh, Dr. Sternglasses, the late Dr. Sternglasses in the video. Uh, and he, uh, he um, here we go. And if you go to documentaries, let's see, that, that, that's, that's the opening page of my website. Go to documentaries up there, and here's Star Wars Returns. Yeah, go down a couple of, about 12, 20 lines, Three Mile Island Revisited. See if you can you can watch the video. If you, here we go. On March 28, 1979, Unit 2 of the Three Mile Island Nuclear Power Plant, located just 10 miles southeast of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, came within 30 minutes of a core meltdown. Large amounts of lethal radioactive poisons were spewed out into the environment then and afterwards. The nuclear industry says that nobody died because of the accident back there at Three Mile Island, but don't tell that to the people here in Goldsboro or others living in what's become a valley of death surrounding Three Mile Island. This is in my neighborhood, um, right here. This is a rose, a wild rose that had a bud with a full set of leaves growing out of the center. I have this specimen. It's dried and very brittle. This is a zinnia from uh, Lancaster County, which is a classic color mutation. And this and this is the same plant. This is one plant, and you can see the stalk is about three inches wide and flat. And it had abnormal um, centers that grew like a caterpillar. This is the normal flower here, and there were about three on the one plant that were quite large. There was a farmer also had a lot of problems with his goats and sheep, and a few years after that, he had uh, a stillborn two-headed calf uh, born on his farm in New Cumberland, which is very close to where I live. It's just across the river. But how far is that from Three Mile Island? Um, it's probably five or six miles, mm -hmm. you know, depending on what part of that area. But this was a double-headed calf, stillborn, and. Um, this farmer, Herb Myers, also recently died of cancer. There have been health studies after health studies, including those done by the state of Pennsylvania, that have shown that there were no health effects from the Three Mile Island accident. The so that that's the video. It's 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 it. Received was equivalent to a chest X-ray. Mm. So that's the video. I just uh, there's like a. Uh, 
oh, 30 seconds there, I put a, a, a PR person in so nobody could say I wasn't giving given the other giving the other side. Uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm very happy, uh, you know, what uh, Heidi has done. Uh, uh, very polished documentary. Uh, but like Harvey was saying, uh, this the knowledge about Three Mile Island being a, an enormous catastrophe in terms of death uh, has been known for for years, and uh, uh, it's really a breakdown in in media. That uh, in, in fact, after that documentary was out in '93, Don Hewitt of uh, 60 Minutes, the executive producer called me up and he said I'd seen it and and he said we've done nothing on all these settlements that you get into in the in the video and I was like yeah well that's it's a major story the the acknowledgement of uh, the damage the the deaths caused and uh, then he asked me what well, you had you have in the beginning this two-headed calf why didn't you go to the farm and shoot the calf or another take take video of the calf and I said Don the calf was stillborn. I mean, we say that in the documentary. I, in any case, he said, well, you know, we'll, we'll work on it. But just like what Harvey was mentioning before with Rolling Stone, uh, uh, they didn't use his uh, his article on Three Mile Island. Uh, my, the information I provided through the documentary and further discussions uh, uh, was never on 60 Minutes. I mean, my first book on nuclear power goes back 1980. It was published. In fact, I began it on the day of the accident, of the Three Mile Island accident, because I had a TV program on the PBS station on Long Island. And I went to, uh, and they wanted me to do a thing on nuclear because Long Island was being uh, eyed by the nuclear industry for, believe it, a seven to 11 nuclear power plants. Uh, and I went to Brookhaven National Laboratory which was set up in 1947, actually, uh, it comes out of the Manhattan Project, basically. They wanted, after the war, a lab would focus on um, uh, developing uh, civilian uses of nuclear technology. And so these folks at Brookhaven Lab, I mean, they love nuclear. They call themselves Nukies. And I, uh, I went over there with my crew and um, asked about the, the problems of nuclear power. And these, with a straight face, these nuclear engineers uh, uh, looked into the camera and said, no, no, the, these machines are so redundant in terms of safety. Maybe every couple of hundred years, you might have a minor accident. And then, uh, then just a few years later, uh, I was actually out on a story and I was checking um, my answering machine and uh, there were messages about the meltdown. And at that point, I said, "Man, I, I, I these these scientists uh, were attempting to bamboozle me and my viewers, and I have to sit down and 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 do a book, which I did, called Cover Up What You're Not Supposed to Know About About Nuclear Power." Uh, Carl, and, yep. can I just say that speaking of cover-ups, about five years ago, I was hearing from a lot of people who were interested in this issue that CBS had been claiming copyright infringement for any anyone who was had a video of Cronkite announcing the act the accident mm -hmm. at Three Mile Island. 
and I happened to find find it somewhere, and I uh, put a video together that allowed me to at least show a little bit of what Cronkite announced on that day. And I'd like to just share the beginning of it. It goes into Harvey, but it's just, it's Cronkite at the beginning. And then I'd love for you to continue. And we have a few hands raised. I'm sure some people would like to ask you questions. So the other one, one last thing, Carl, is that video copywritten on YouTube? And if it is, please make it Creative Commons, so we don't get dinged for this yeah. video. Well, just go to Enviro Video. Yeah, that's my I'll website. Say, and 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 to, I know, but and, and, we and shared to, it here, and YouTube will take our video down if we use copyrighted material. Well, uh, it's, it's uh, the paraphrase. You can make, any, you can paraphrase make a Creative Commons if you need help doing that. I can help you do that. Yeah, well, to paraphrase Henny Youngman, uh, take my video, please. Yeah, uh, you know, and and I can help you do that, want. please. Thanks, Carl. Sure. Do we want to get questions in? Just a, yeah, just a second here. Good evening. The world has never known a day quite like today. It faced the considerable uncertainties and dangers of the worst nuclear power plant accident of the atomic age. And the horror tonight is that it could get much worse. It is not an atomic explosion that is feared. The experts say that is impossible. But the specter was raised of perhaps the next most serious kind of nuclear catastrophe, a massive release of radioactivity. The Nuclear Regulator Regulatory Commission cited that possibility with an announcement that, while it is not likely, the potential is there for the ultimate risk of a meltdown at the Three Mile Island Atomic Power Plant outside Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So is that under fair use? Well, it, I can explain that later, but it was kind of complicated the way I managed to be able to use that. But what I what uh, <clears throat> the um, American Journal of Public Health reported in March of 1982 was that um, mortality went up. So I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, unshare now, and um, perhaps we can go to some. Uh, Questions? Yeah. Uh, just, just let me also stress in that documentary, and I suggest people watch it. It's a half an hour piece, um, but the real, the smoking gun, in fact, beyond uh, you know all, all these settlements and so forth, was Dr. Jay Gould, uh, the late Dr. Jay Gould, who started the Radiation and Public Health Project, and uh, Ernest Sternglass. They're sitting in, in the documentary with me. And what they use is statistical evidence. Jay Gould, PhD in statistics. And they look at uh, mortality, wherever the uh, uh, the fallout from Three Mile Island went, uh, and uh, uh, look at what would be the expected death rate and what was, in fact, the death rate in the years following the Three Mile Island accident. And, uh, I mean, they conclude it's, it's, it's comparable to what happened at Chernobyl, based on uh, the work of Dr. Alexei Yablokov's uh, book, he did it with uh, Harvey was mentioning it before. Uh, Eight hundred and forty-five thousand deaths as a result of the Chernobyl accident. Uh, that was up to the point that they did this this book. And uh, Dr. Sternglass and uh, 
Dr. Gould, uh, they conclude a million people died as a result of the Three Mile Island accident. I mean, again, the lack of, of, of knowledge of this catastrophe here in the United States and it's just a, but my book cover up I'll just just mention begins you have not been told about nuclear power you've not been informed this has been done on purpose uh, that those in the nuclear industry and nuclear promoters and government know the accidents will happen uh, and, I, and I go on but you know besides Three Mile Island at that point in 1980 there there were others this is before Chernobyl, of course, 10 years before. Uh, and uh, th th then I go on, and the book is interesting. In fact, if anybody wants a copy of the book, uh, the cover-up book, just go to my website, carlgrossman.com, and just hit the button where it says books, uh, because I, I couldn't get a major publisher to publish the book. And I had a literary agent from out here in the Hamptons uh, very hot, and she couldn't believe it. She came back a few months later after I began putting together a, a manuscript uh, saying that the, the big publishing houses um, said nobody would be interested in a few months. So, In any oh. case, after Fukushima, uh, the independent publisher who put out the book said, hey, they got to be interested now. Let, let, let's do a new version of the book an update with Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, and Fukushima. And I began doing an update. Same thing happened. Same thing happened. And this is what, a decade ago. And so what finally occurred was that the publisher um, uh, uh, put the, the new edition together, put it on their website and my own website. And what anybody could do uh, is just go to books on my website uh, hit the button and you can download the whole book for free. Uh, and why the book, even though it's old, from 1980, I think is um, is useful is in trying to figure out how to do a book on this with all the baloney, all the BS, I figured let me use facsimiles of, of government and corporate documents. Just reprint them in the book so it isn't my word, my narrative, as opposed to the uh, uh, the nuclear Pinocchios. So, for example, the book, the, like the second page, I use the nuclear clause, which is in everybody's homeowner's insurance in this country that uh, that doesn't cover loss or damage caused by radio radioactivity and so forth. Or uh, a few pages later, I I I, I, re I just took a stick of scissor and pasted it down on the flap for the book, uh, the original book, and it's it's in it's in the the one you can get for free now a line from the WASH 740 update done at Brookhaven National Laboratory, which says that a, a major accident could, I forget the use of whether the word destroy or something like destroy an area the size of the state of Pennsylvania or impact, uh, which is 10 years before the Three Mile Island accident. So the book is full of um, uh, facsimile documents can serve as a handbook uh, in challenging nuclear. Again, again, get it for free. It's just go to callgrossman.com, hit books, download it. And I think even here in 2023, as the nuclear industry pushes with the big excuse now, uh, uh, Tataka was talking about too cheap to meter. 
the big baloney now is that is needed to deal with climate change. Uh, I mean, and, and in fact, nuclear plants, I mean, the nuclear fuel cycle is, is carbon intensive, mining, milling, enrichment, and nuclear plants actually themselves emit carbon, carbon-14. So it's just the continuation of the baloney. I think it would be great to go to um, hand soon. Thank you so much, Carl, for this. And I do, before we close out, after we take um, the questions, I think it would just be really important. You know, there's um, a leak happening in Minnesota that we just found out that they're covering up. Um, we just got word that in Ohio, the independent test results came back and there's 14 times the safe amount of dioxin and they're just lying. And you mentioned the non-disclosure agreements and that's kind of playbook that happened in the Gulf Coast. It happened in 9-11, which was weird that people got settlements. But anytime they take any kind of compensation to make up for the lives that they lost, they have to sign a non-disclosure agreement saying they will never talk about it again. And it's these companies that cause the destruction that is controlling the, quote, cleanup and the regulation of it. And it, you just bring up some amazing points. And I really appreciate your reporting. So well, in, in this situation, I mean, organizing and and action is so important uh but uh if people know the facts you know fortunately i was able because i have a column in a lot of these long island newspapers and i, I was on tv on long island on long island uh in the face of actually the new york times and newsday get information out about what the impacts would be of 7 to 11 nuclear power plants on Long Island. And actually, I wrote a book on that. It's called Power Crazy, published by uh, Barney Rossett was alive then, published at uh, Grove Press. And uh, now uh, it isn't just my doing. There's a great grassroots movement on Long Island. But knowledge was so important for people to get. And uh, nuclear uh, Long Island is nuclear free. This The one nuclear plant that was built, Shoreham, Shoreham Nuclear Power Station 1, there would be three on that site. Uh, that was completed, but stopped from going into commercial operation. And the two nukes at uh, Brookhaven National Laboratory, a high flux beam reactor and a medical reactor, which were leaking tritium into the sole source aquifer of Long Island, they were shut down. So um, uh, knowledge will do it, I, I found on nuclear, if, if people can be informed, uh, the baloney, which is in, in spades now, can be uh, cut through. Yeah, definitely. And then when, when the big companies think no one's watching is when they keep pushing on. So thank you so much, like, and for all your amazing work. Um, Justin, you have a hand, and everybody, let's stick to the 90-second rule, if we can, please. And um, we'll get some questions here for Carl, who's kind enough to share his amazing life work with us. Thank you. And, and Wendy, it looks like Tatanka would also like to weigh in. So let's hear from Justin. Oh, I think you, you're going to need to uh, just give me, give me a second. It's going to be a little bit difficult to stay within the 90 seconds here, but I'm going to try to run the gamut. Taiwan is shutting down its nuclear plants. It knows the same issue that Russia, uh, that Ukraine was facing regarding Russia. But really, the truth is that everybody knows that nuclear really isn't that popular. The interesting thing is what it's being replaced with, a lot of liquefied natural gas, a lot of oil. Uh, so some of the biggest childhood cancer 
and uh, asthma even, uh, is in Bakersfield, California, near the fracking wells. And Monterey County is one place in California that has banned that, but the uh, and they, they've tried to get away from the main utility by building their own battery system. But now the corporations are coming after that, trying to split them from a multi-member district where members are elected at large into single member districts, which are gerrymandered. Guess what? We've been talking about that. So this is something that it, it's all industry. It's not just one industry that's coming after the will of the people. And in order to push back, we need to find areas that are both rural and non-industrial in order to collectivize and say, we need distributed, we need uh, dispersed energy resources, we need dispersed economy so that we can actually uh, support our own communities. And Nevada County is one of those that has a CCA that's coming in to replace the main utility for at least part of it, but it needs to go further. And so a guy named Robert Freeling, who has been on these calls uh, and worked with Sierra Club and also set up the CCA system with Paul Fenn, is leading that charge. Uh, and basically we need more bright ideas like this, more organizing. Really in the end, that's what it is, organizing. We can't just rely on knowledge. We have to have people power. Thank you. Yeah, uh, just a couple of things. Uh, Harvey is in Three Mile Island Revisited. In fact, he talks about going there for Rolling Stone and um, uh, uh, cats were losing their hair their fur, uh, so are horses. And um, uh, Harvey goes on, Harvey has, of course, a great sense of humor, uh, that it was all psychological, was the industry claim that there were mm. these impacts. I, I, I don't think the cats were listening, says Harvey, uh, you know, to the radio, and so forth. Um, in terms of the other big thing going on now with nuclear, which I've gotten very involved in, in terms of journalism, is uh, and the claim of new improved nukes, the uh, uh, small modular reactors and so forth being safer. And if, go, go to, if, when you get a chance, go to envirovideo.com and you can see a program I just did last month. It aired nationally uh, with Gordon Edwards, who is the uh, president of the uh, Canadian Coalition for Nuclear Responsibility, who stresses that they're not new, they're not improved, the same old nuclear plants being wheeled out that were tried and, and failed uh, decades ago, uh, you know. Uh, uh, and in terms of, of organizing, the current uh, video, I have this nationally aired uh, TV program, uh, Enviro Close-Up with Carl Grossman, Free Speech TV uh, syndicates it to uh, 40 states, 200 cable TV stations and so forth. And the one that'll be on Saturday, but it's on my website already, uh, is a, an excellent show with David Fenton. Uh, David was the, the really the uh, a key to the No Nukes concert or concerts. There were a number of Madison Square Garden, and uh, he just wrote a book, the Activist Handbook, uh, the, the Activist Media Handbook, which is just so you know we, uh, lessons that he has learned in fifty years of how with. The, with these cover-ups on these just existential issues, key issues uh, to break into media. Here, here we are. There. There's David Fenton, the activist media handbook. I mean, I was blown away by, uh, uh, you know, through the years I've known Fenton, but wow, uh, this book is a gift to organizers. Next on.
Thank you, Carl. Thanks. Um, Jeffrey, very quickly, my friend. Wendy, very quickly. Uh, for, we, we heard, uh, Wendy, we heard from Jeffrey earlier. Uh, Paul is next up. And we also want to hear from Tatanka. But we, we heard from Jeffrey earlier today. I don't know if you were on yet. Well, this is about well, what I'm going to say involves the topic. Oh, okay. Quickly, very, very, very quickly. All right. All right. For, for, first off, we we share the links that with those YouTube videos. First off, and now and now here's the thing I want to say. You know, there's a person that we should that we should be using as a battle cry. Remember, remember, Hisashi Oichi, the man who got the mo most radioactive do do dosage in in an accident. We get. We could use him as a as a message to say why why we should have these nuclear plants shut down shut down so we could so we don't all don't wind up like him. And for Thank those who you, don't Jeffrey. know know him, look him up. About about Thank his... you. You can, you can go ahead and put a link in the chat for us if you can. That's a really great point, Jeffrey. Thank you for bringing it up, buddy. Okay. Can we hear from Paul now, Paul Newman? Sure. Real, it's just a quick one. Have we quantified Fukushima's damage as far as people getting sick and dying? Uh, Carl, maybe you know, or Tonka? Or... No, no, the, the, the cover-ups on Fukushima, and now we're talking Japan, and, and uh, I mean, just, just, just let me insert here that um, after Westinghouse's nuclear division, uh, you know, uh, just essentially went belly up, who came in to, uh, to acquire that Westinghouse nuclear division, but um, a Japanese corporation. Um, uh, then another one uh, partnered with GE and its nuclear. So now the, the 80%, 75 to 80% of nuclear power plants worldwide are of GE and or Westinghouse designer manufacturer. And now um, uh, these are Japanese brands so the the cover up in Japan in terms of nuclear is enormous, uh, and as to whether there'll be uh, honest reporting done in terms of the impacts, the consequences uh, out of Japan in Japan, I, uh, I mean, you can see what's happened. Decades and decades go by. Thank you, Paul. Do you, did you have a follow up? Well, just real, just real quickly. Um, and they were breeder. Is that a Fukush? Fukushima was a breeder reactor? No, no. The, okay. uh, 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 Fukushima were, were, were GE Mark I reactors. In fact, the same model that was to be built on Long Island Shore was a GE Mark I. Uh, breeder reactors, uh, uh, I mean, are, are even more dangerous because a nuclear power plant can undergo a steam explosion. That's all detailed in cover-up. Uh, and in fact, the, the nuclear scientist who vetted every word in cover-up, uh, Dr. Richard Webb, PhD in nuclear physics and so forth, uh, he explains how a nuclear power plant can undergo a, a steam explosion by control rods going out of control and, uh, and said, uh, a heat up in the, uh, but a, uh, but a, a breeder reactor uh, here you're talking about actually a, a, a full-scale nuclear explosion. Uh, so no, it, it wasn't a breeder. Thankfully, it wasn't a breeder. 
And Tatanka, did you want to speak now or, or shall we? Hear yeah, from yeah, I would like to just say a couple things and you might have something to say about it, Carl. Those of us who are older remember the Lockheed and the uh, the Westinghouse and GE engineers that refused to work because they were pressured by the company to put out defective reactors. So it's not just that what we're facing in Diablo Canyon and around the world is old and embrittled. There also, there's an industry tendency to push these things out, even when they're not safe. And these were important whistleblowers that got involved and went to Chernobyl later, et cetera. So there's that. Um, Sarah Nelson found out, I mean, this is a coordinated PR program that's been going on our entire adult lives by the industry. And I was always curious why there's any interest of young people in their 20s and 30s, especially about these, quote, new smaller nuclear reactors. And she found out that there was a national program. They all heard about it in junior high or high school when the industry, when teachers after 9-11 and during, you know, the 10 or 15 years out of that, after that, were having to put their own money into materials because, you know, things were so bad. There were materials that the nuclear industry provided to every high school social studies department to teach a course. I mean, they had the, the, the slick brochures, they had the study plans, they had it all done. They just put it in the teacher's hands. So these kids got educated in our schools, and I never heard about this before, on, on the blessings and the safety and the wonder of these new nuclear power plants. Um, so, I mean, there, there are many other things I like to bring up, but, you know, what comment you have about uh, the ongoing uh, role of the PR of the nuclear and the extractive industries that, I mean, I heard about almost 50 years ago from an SRI uh, person who told me what the future was going to be, that by 2020, the oil companies and the nuclear giants intended to own all the energy in the world. That was the plan way back in the 70s. Yeah, uh, what you're mentioning about uh, uh, Dale Bridenborough and uh, Greg Miner, they're, they're, these were three senior nuclear engineers at GE who testified before Congress about how uh, nuclear power uh, uh, presents a, a deadly threat to survival. I mean, these are out of the nuclear division of, of GE. And and uh, oh wow! I, I when my when my book cover up came out again, nineteen eighty. Then then I uh, I got on the lecture circuit, and uh, at one point, my lecture agent felt that uh, he set me up with John Sununo to debate, uh, and uh, which was like verbal wrestling on nuclear issues. And Sununu took the position, look, I'm an engineer uh, and you're just a journalist. And then I insisted uh, after that first debate, remember it was a Tufts where Sununu uh, was an administrator, I need to show the documents. And if if, if people see the documents, like uh, when I do presentations, uh, often I'll uh, just... Uh, uh, show uh, the NRC has put together an interest, this is years ago, projection of cancer deaths and uh, so forth and so on from every nuclear power plant in the country. And I show, uh, you know, I show, uh, I, I show that. It, 
again, it, this is one of those issues that if people knew the facts, they would uh, just, uh, and these days, I mean, in cover up, I have a chapter about alternatives. And at that time, they were somewhat limited, solar and and wind were the early stages. Uh, but these days, uh, well, as I mentioned at our last call, uh, this great new book, No Miracles Needed, uh, that that technology that's available today uh, can um, provide all the energy that that green, safe, clean energy, energy we can we can live with. And it's not a technological issue. It's a political issue and an informational, an informational issue. Uh, so I've, I've been trying with environmental and a political media. and a political issue that comes from the corporate dominance and corporate capture of the government. Yeah, I, I you know, I'm, I, no one has ever accused me of being a conservative, uh, but government is up to its neck in, in all this, too. I, I, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, uh, 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 the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the the nuclear division in the um, Department of Energy, uh, the way so many elected politicians are uh, in the pockets of, of of the nuclear industry. We were talking before about the, uh, now that's the Biden administration and the billions of dollars in, in these, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act and other uh, pieces of legislation in recent years uh, going into uh, supporting nuclear, uh, promoting advanced nuclear power plants, um, so-called, um, uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely hideous. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, well, again, this isn't the trip we have to take. Safe, clean energy, the technology is here today. Yeah, and, and, and I think, I think, uh, we have to take the perspective of that, that the, the fact is that that Diablo Canyon was the picture of how to shut down, to decommission a nuclear power plant. Solar in California is booming with the industry. And so the attack goes on solar and it reopens the power plant. It comes directly through the governor of California. And this is big, big money, big money speaking. And it's because all of that is having an effect. We actually thought when it got competitive, it would be rather easy. It turns out it's hard because these guys plan 50 years ahead. They, they just got a plan. They're like they're like a, a Titanic all themselves without a trim tab. It's like they they seem to not be able to move except to just incorporate, ingest, and you know, everybody's green now and nuclear is safe. That's part of the program, part of the propaganda. So and let's go on. Uh, sorry, it, it also the uh, governor of um, Michigan, Gretchen Whit Whitmore, is mm. trying to resurrect a nuclear power plant that was already shut. The Palisades. Palisades. Mm. The, the reactors at Palisades and uh, Diablo, Diablo 1, are the two most embrittled reactors in the country, the most dangerous the most likely mm. to shatter if they happen to have uh, an emergency shutdown. Um, uh, Mary uh, Butler Stonewall has been waiting patiently to, uh, to ask a question. Mary, would you like to go ahead and, and uh, say something? Okay, real quick, like, I don't know if everybody knows it, but there was a 
Maine Yankee uh, power plants, they had like three of them in Maine and they ended up shutting them down, but not until they had leaked. And to this day, it was never made public. But if you look up online, uh, uh, nuclear hotspots, you'll find out that this whole state of Maine is the most hottest state in the union. Um, secondly, um, um, Hanover, uh, I mean, uh, Hanford here in Washington state is burnt down twice with forest fires and they never notified anybody, even though they said that the fire was suppressed before it got there. If you went to the aircraft, you know, if you're a pilot, it was a no fly zone because the fire was still going, you know, there's ways around things. And finally, if we truly want to argue case law to bring these CEOs and corporate owners accountable, we need to take the law and state to the judge, how is the CEO, because they say, oh, it's a corporate, it's a business, but it's a person. And so therefore, everybody on the lower end usually gets put in jail, but the same old power stays in office. I say, aren't they no different than a getaway driver, whether it was a car sitting on the side of the road and the person jumps in and says, hey, pull out now, you're my getaway driver, or you're out there purposely waiting to be the getaway driver. For you to say, I didn't know that they were going to shoot that person in the bank, you're still accountable, guilty by association, and you still have to serve time for murder. So why don't they serve time for murder? That's what, that, that's what we need to have a lawyer argue, is that he's, the CEOs are no different than the getaway driver. Thank you, Mary. Yeah, and, and uh, that slide that was shown before with John Goffman's words, uh, I mean, uh, John Goffman, and, uh, decades ago now, so sad he's passed because he was so brilliant and uh, Poison Power, his book uh, is, 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 is an absolute, uh, absolute classic. Uh, <laughs> Like uh, yeah, it, it, it's 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 not particularly too random either. Premeditated murder—it's it, such an evil, such a bad, uh, what a, a lethal dead end for humanity, and and it has to do so much with vested interest. Uh, what have, I I found that during the Manhattan Project, uh, you know, here. Uh, uh, nuclear weapons were developed and then uh, they were thinking of um, uh, how are we going to continue we can build new bombs and indeed they built new atomic bombs and hydrogen for 30,000 but what else can we do with nuclear technology to perpetuate our, our contracts and Westinghouse and GE were major contractors uh, during the Manhattan Project so uh, then comes uh, the notion of just what was mentioned before which was used in cover-up the most dangerous way to boil water. That's a line I use in cover. Uh, and, um, uh, and actually the, the original nuclear, the plans for the original nuclear reactors. Uh, and, and one of my slides shows that. It's, it's, it's a, uh, Sunuda didn't like this slide at all. Talks about dual purpose reactors. Reactors that produce plutonium for weapons and as a byproduct, uh, provide electricity. That's as the original scheme to, to just what was mentioned before, uh, dual purpose, uh, dual purpose reactors. Uh, Carl, and, and, yeah, I'm sorry. Paul asked this earlier. I thought that one of the reactors at Fukushima was 
producing plutonium. But am I I'm wrong about that? I think Paula asked about that as well. well any nuclear power plant produces hundreds of pounds of plutonium uh, per year. I mean, uh, the, the, you know, uh, we're talking about it. All, all that occurs is that the, the uranium-238, which do, isn't fissile, you know, picks up a neutron and then transforms to plutonium-239. I mean, that happens in any nuclear power plant. I thought it was uh, mostly cesium, and but that's if it goes critical. The radioactive cesium and the strontium ninety, and um, that that's after it goes critical, I guess. That the yeah, fallout, well, yeah. once fission occurs, it, it, what's fissile in a nuclear power plant is uranium two thirty five, and then you have the U two thirty eight again, which picks up a neutron and changes to to plutonium-239. The idea of a breeder reactor is that you start with, with, uh, with plutonium and, uh, uh, and, and uh, I mean, those are beyond belief dangerous, but any nuclear power plant is, 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 is a death machine. Uh, again, and the origin has to do with nuclear weaponry and vested interest. And, 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 and just let me mention on the issue of, uh, uh, again, no one has ever accused me of being a conservative. And for the left to accurately talk about corporations whose bottom line uh, is the only thing important, doesn't matter how much destruction is caused or uh, lives lost, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, uh, that's true. But uh, Dr. Yablakov, Alexei Yablakov, who was the um, environmental advisor to uh, to Yeltsin and to Gorbachev? Uh, he had me come to uh, to Russia uh, to speak on on these issues. And there, I mean, until the fall of communism in 1989, you can't blame that on capitalism. Uh, and what I saw, and uh, I ended up in in Russia giving talks, uh, seven trips all over the place. Last one was Siberia. Uh, and um, I, I mean, there, just to explain what happened in the former Soviet Union, uh, like our nuclear, um, uh, whatever, uh, nightmare begins with this letter from Albert Einstein uh, to Franklin D. Roosevelt concerned about fission being done in late 1938 in Germany and how a nuclear weapon and so forth and so on. In the Soviet Union, it was a comparable situation where a, a Soviet physicist wrote a letter to Stalin. And then out of that comes during the war, uh, a, a nuclear establishment very much like we have in this country. Uh, like we have the string of nuclear national laboratories. They have, they have a, and it's, it's more like, um, to me, it's, it's, it's more like, again, vested interest. Uh, in, in Russia, it wasn't profit-making. It was um, uh, to push a vested interest uh, of uh, these folks, um, like, like, like those scientists at Brookhaven National Laboratory who talk of themselves as nukies. It's, it, you know, it's that kind of thing in, 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 in Russia. They're, um, uh, it's a cult really pushing nuclear power. I mean, obviously profit is a big issue, uh, but vested interest is a bit. Well, my, my last trip to Russia was in Tomsk in Siberia. 
I, I give a, it was a keynote speak speech at a, a conference of, uh, actually it was, it was opponents to women opposing nuclear power from the US and from Russia and former Soviet republics uh, mm -hmm. in Tomsk, which is a big nuclear uh, city. Uh, east, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I just elaborated on that story. In fact, that's online, my little presentation there. And then I say, we, we have, no matter what your system is, whether it's capitalism or socialism and, or communism, and I have my preferences, uh, I, I don't adhere to greed as the basis of a, an economic system uh, being very wise, but no matter what your system, one must be ecocentric, life first, and 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 nuclear technology is is so anti-life. It's so it's so destructive, and, and, and we've not seen the worst of it yet. We've not seen the worst of it yet, particularly because there's still discussion of breeder reactors, uh, and again, now a proliferation of uh, these small modular react nuclear reactors, and uh, and now the big excuse. Uh, which as, as with young people, and I'm a, I'm a college professor, I have to deal with young people. I have the same problem. These kids have been brainwashed, believing again, the new alibi, the new baloney oh. that is necessary because of climate change, uh, because nuclear power. I mean, you even, even see published, even in a paper like the New York Times, uh, emission-free nuclear power. And, and they're not emission-free. And the nuclear fuel cycle is certainly not emission-free. Thank you, Carl. Um, Ron Leonard, would you like to weigh in here? Yeah, I'll, I'll weigh in. Uh, uh, a little history for me, personally. I was in the UN when the UN hired a scientist to solve the world's problem of energy. He had an open book, and not any amount of money that he needed. Whatever solution you come up with, we'll adopt it. And I was there for his report. And his report said that the solution to uh, energy problems and throughout the world was renewable energy. That was 20 years ago. And the nice little portion of that is when he finished giving the report, the first thing that came up was Canada and a couple of other uh, uh, countries decided to put in an amendment in to declare nuclear energy as renewable energy. Mm. That was fun. So a little point too, uh, we now in New York state where I am are faced with the shutting down of Indian Point's power plants. My friend actually happened to be in charge of that entire process. And I had a foundation in the early seventies that was uh, there exposing the foibles of Indian Point uh, during the day. But now we have the last foible. We have to shut it down. So I make believe in the funny world that uh, I'm gonna describe that this could be done successfully and it was no problems and it's all magically uh, taken care of. Well, uh, in the uh, pools of uh, the rods where they're stored, uh, they contend that they can filter out any of the fissile material out of that water. And maybe they can, but I doubt it. But what they can't do is deal with the fissile material called tritium because that water is tritiated. And there is no way to deal with that other than let it sit for some say 25 years, I say more like 100 years, but they come up with a magical solution in Indian Point. 
They're going to fix that problem. The last problem they have with shutting down nuclear power, they're going to dump that water into the Hudson River. And yeah. it's no longer yeah. a problem because it's the solution to pollution is dilution. Amazing. They fixed it. Well, the fix is really not satisfactory and nor logical, nor uh, the way that the world uh, should be run. And uh, then we jump to the new, uh, as we're talking about mini nukes uh, that happen to use a very highly enriched form of uranium uh, uh, fissile material. Uh, so far, most of that has only been available from a little place uh, that we all hear about a lot, Russia. They've came up with the solution. You know, normally you have to take centrifuges and use, you know, highly uh, uh, costly uh, mechanical means for getting this uranium into a form that is usable for these mini nukes, and they fixed it. The fix is they came up with an idea, which they think they've proven, that they can use lasers to come up with this highly enriched fuel for these new reactors and not have to rely on Russia to get this. Get this. This new form of creating highly enriched uranium is cost effective and easy to do. Think about that for a second. If you happen to be someone, I don't know, in the Middle East that really didn't like us in the US and had this not so great material that they had to buy a lot of centrifuges for to enrich, maybe they don't have to do that anymore. That's not a good solution. That's not a good thing to promote. That's not a technology we want to promote. And the last piece that I want you to do is follow the money. And I put it in the chat section. The money is available again from the Infrastructure Restructuring Act, large amounts of money these new small nuclear power plants. And when you look at that money and look at the power plant cost of producing energy at 15, a buck 50 a watt, and uh, no problem though, it, we, we, we'll get it down much cheaper when we produce more than 35 of them, we'll get it down to uh, $4 which is happens to be four times more expensive than the same energy you could produce from renewable energy. How is this the sensible solution to anything? How in God's name is a grown-up that should know better recommending this as a way to spend public money? Makes no sense. Follow the money and you'll know it's the most expensive way to produce power on the earth Certainly, it's arguably the most dangerous and probably very efficient. So we, we need to stop in our tracks and reevaluate. It's the wrong move. Well, the, 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 just a, a couple of minutes to a little sidebar, which is a big sidebar. When I was in the middle of writing cover up, got a call from an engineer for Westinghouse from Pittsburgh. He wanted to meet with me. I met, met him in Manhattan. And he said, you got to focus somewhere in your book on the cladding of the fuel rods in a nuclear power plant. And he explained that at Westinghouse, what they, and GE, same, the same process, we were looking for a cladding, uh, which would allow the neutrons to move uh, 
from one fuel rod to another and so forth, and for the fission to occur. And finally, what we settled on, we tried stainless steel, we tried this. What we finally settled on was zirconium. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only industrial use, he said, for zirconium at the time was the little speck in a flashbulb. Right. Zirconium is explosive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, getting back to Three Mile Island, what occurs with zirconium if there's a meltdown begins at a nuclear power plant? What's first emitted from that zirconium is hydrogen. Remember, we get to talk about the hydrogen bubble of Three Mile Island. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what happened. Then at a higher temperature, and I give the the, the numbers of the temperature uh, in my book and cover up uh, based on what the engineer told me, and then I completely confirmed it explodes and zirconium has the explosive power pound for pound of nitroglycerin. And th- then you have the spent fuel pool and in the spent fuel pool are all the fuel rods and the cladding of zirconium. All you need is a loss of water accident, it's called, in a spent fuel pool. And it, it's like, you know, I mean, it's beyond firecrackers. Uh, jump to Fukushima, hydrogen bubble. That was the first stage in the in the meltdowns and so forth. I mean, this is so idiotic. Uh, it's just a, a, a human tragedy of, of almost Shakespeare. I mean, uh, uh, Shakespearean quality of stupidity of of, of 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 people. Even though in this situation, we knew, said the engineer, we knew this enormous danger. But uh, it's called zircaloy. It's the alloy of zirconium. It mm-hmm. did allow the the neutrons to pass from and so forth, despite some danger. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Can't happen here. Let's hear from Nancy Van. Hi. Um, I live about 2.8 miles from the Indian Point uh, nuclear plant and have been really following what's happening with the uh, efforts to dump tritiated water into the Hudson River. Uh, There are probably other uh, radioactive elements that they haven't been able to filter out because apparently 73% of the filtered uh, water at Fukushima uh, had to be redone because it didn't get all of the radioactive elements. But tritiated water, uh, one of the things about it is that it goes everywhere. It's It, it uh, gets you from inside your body. Any place you have a glass of water with some tritium in it, it goes into all of your cells. It can cross the uh, barrier into your brain. Uh, And I put in the chat some links to two forums that we had about that, and also uh, to a couple of petitions and some letter writing. Uh, One is from Food and Water Watch, and one is from Riverkeeper. But the change.org chat now has over 400,000 signatures opposing dumping this water into the Hudson River. And if you can go and 
you know, sign it yourself and circulate it to all of your friends. Our our goal is 500,000 signatures. And once you've got a half a million signatures on something, it's it's pretty hard to uh, ignore. So I put a lot of different links to the forums, to the to the two different three, two different petitions, and the letter writing from Riverkeeper and to Riverkeeper's webinar about the uh, tritium and the tritiated water. Uh, Arnie Gunderson was on uh, the the February sixteenth forum talking about tritium and how it reacts in your body. Uh, Mary Olson uh, was on that forum talking about how women are are um, subject to damage from from uh, radiation more than men, women, and children. Uh, I myself am a cancer survivor about uh, seven years after I moved uh, next to the Indian Point um, plant. So please um, sign the petitions and uh, you can look at our, our forms and, uh, and the other information, if you would. Thank you. Yeah, and I need to personally thank Arnie Gunderson because on that forum that Manager Green sponsored, I learned a lot. And this is information that we all need to fully comprehend and understand. There is no way to filter or deal with tritiated water has to be stored for a hundred years. And, and, and on, trit, on tritium, this is something I just did yesterday and you guys could do it. At Brookhaven Lab was mentioning before they had these two reactors and the tritium, uh, they said it leaked from the reactors. I think it was discharged from the reactors because the, the those nukies at Brookhaven Lab didn't take tritium seriously. I mean, they told uh -huh. me, that this is years ago, that, hey, tritium is used in exit signs. So what's the big deal? So it's in the oh. aquifer. Yesterday, I Googled disposal of tritium exit signs. Try it. And, and you'll see a, one piece after another piece uh, that uh, exit signs with tritium uh, shouldn't be disposed of as, uh, uh, you know, they, they didn't... Uh, is a whole process of being disposed of somehow and so forth and so on. Uh, but then they get into, uh, on, on a number of these sites, why tritium is used in exit signs. That, you, you know, it's, it's an alternative to using electricity and so forth and so on. But there, there's like actually a, an interesting um, uh, essay about the danger of uh, tritium exit signs by EPA about how if, if they'd, Somehow they get into a landfill, uh, and there's corrosion. I mean, the tritium gets there's no it's it's, uh, but like it's so stupid to use tritium exit signs. Carl, Carl, can I interrupt for a second? I just want to say I've got to be somewhere in one minute. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Myla, for stepping in for for Sluggo, and I'll see you all next week. Thank you so much, Tatanka. Thanks yeah. for all of your great contributions okay. to our discussion. And, and yes, please, uh, please watch Arnie Gunderson's uh, segment on the uh, on the forums. He's excellent on that. Highly um, recommended. Highly recommended. And and and, and just to, uh, again with my videos, uh, Mark Jacobson, who wrote this book, uh, 
no miracle needed. I did an interview with him uh, oh, about six months ago. Excellent. He's such a, an, an articulate energy expert. Uh, we've done now, since we started Enviro Close-Up, in, uh, when did we start? 1991. I've done over 600 shows. And I'd say uh, 30, 40% of them are, maybe 30% are nuclear power. Uh, so there's shows with Helen Caldecott, there's on and on, and then many, many shows, uh, also hundreds, on the alternatives, the safe, clean, green alternatives uh, available today. Oh, Carl, I, I wanted to uh, chime in, commiserate with you, because I encounter a lot of young people also who believe, have been led to believe that um, that nuclear power is essential for confronting our climate catastrophe. And it's just really astonishing to me that in so many spaces where young, often progressive left spaces where young people are, that they seem to really be um, <clears throat> have been brainwashed yeah and and believe and 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 it's really difficult to get through to people now Stephen Caruso our engineer left for a moment and he's coming back and I want to make sure that he I'm going to actually make him the host now and ask him to unmute I think we're gonna um be wrapping up soon because we're, we've um, we've managed to have a wonderful discussion that has lasted for quite a long time. Stephen, can you un can you unmute now, Stephen and um, Ron? Were you going to uh, ask a question, Ron? Uh, I just wanted to have a, a a sympathy statement, which is when I was twenty years old, I was sort of agnostic about nuclear energy. And I went to uh, Brookhaven National Labs because I was there to see a scientist who made a business of recycling glass. And I went into his room in nuclear, into the Brookhaven lab, and it was surrounded by these big monoliths all at different angles. And I finally got to him in the middle of the monolith. And I said, well, what, what is all this around us? Oh, that's lead. Why is that there? Well, this was the nuclear power plant at Brookhaven National Labs. And then I had a discussion with them of what that means and how that occurred and what uses were uh, made to uh, take care of that material. And it was chilling. Uh, facts really make a difference. If you understand the facts, you understand what danger we are facing when we're using that technology. There you go. Now, uh, Carl, I don't know if you followed Roger Allen Shore and Don Watkins in uh, Alabama. And Southern Power has ties to the Matrix Corporation and to Florida Power and Light. Um, they tried to stop the activation of the Vocal nuclear plant and with a complaint to the NRC that these people were corrupt and weren't capable of operating the plant. And right now they're trying to get this guy, Don Watkins, locked up in prison. Um, they ignored the complaint and went ahead with the boot up of the power plant, um, which already uh, has had 
a couple incidents, one where an employee, I wonder if it was a whistleblower, was unfit for duty, so they terminated him. And then uh, there was also, when they got up to 18% power, tried to switch over to generation or something, and the backup pumps failed, or oh, through the backup pump switch or something. But uh, that's all at the NRC. I posted a link earlier, I could post it again. Very interesting story about how, you know, people are trying to stick their thumb in a dike and the nuclear guys come along and just yank them away from the dam kind of thing. Yeah, and, and, and cover up, I, I have pages of uh, actual, I, I use Atomic Energy Commission documents, uh, some of them so incriminating in terms of accident after accident. And now we've had the huge ones, uh, Chernobyl and, uh, well, Three Mile Island was a huge one too, and Fukushima. I mean, every decade, not every, like those engineers told me at Brookhaven Lab, maybe every couple of hundred years, we'd have a minor accident. Essentially, a, a gargantuan accident every decade somewhere around the world. It's just, uh, uh, and there's a little less than 500 nuclear power plants worldwide. Uh, and some of them, some all so old, they uh, in brittle minutes, to, they were never seen as operating for more than 40 years, nuclear power plants, particularly because of the embrittlement of metals. But the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has extended with uh, uh, the 60 years, uh, 80 years, and they're talking about a century. I mean, just asking for disaster and not just allowing nuclear power plants to be run for such extended periods of time, but uprating them at the same time. In other words, kicking them into producing uh, well more electricity, running hotter and harder. It's it's just suicidal. And nuclear power would be great, uh, except for places like Texas. When they had a heat wave, the first thing they had to do was shut off the nuclear power plants because the cooling towers would not work. How is that a real great, efficient way of having power to our nation if the damn things don't work when we need them? And the cost, I mean, the phenomenal, the amount of billions and billions of dollars wasted on this trash science, literal trash. I mean, you know, it's just unbelievable how much has been wasted and how, how much the quality of life in the society could have been improved over the decades between that and war and, and the tools that they make for war. It, it's just unbelievable how much has been wasted. But New York State is actually giving $5 billion to keep four nuclear power plants running beyond their term. And the reason, oh, we have 600 nuclear workers that we like to keep working and we really need this power. Well, we don't need this power upstate. And if you gave every one of those 600 workers a million dollars, it would be cheaper than spending the $5 billion of taxpayer money. Yeah, it's actually in New York State, $7.6 billion going into allowing four nuclear power plants, old, uh, uneconomical nuclear power. I mean, Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, under pressure, went for the shutdown of the Indian Point plants. Uh, but these uh, these up upstate nu power, nuclear power plants, 
uh, allowed to, with a, a huge bailout, which everybody in the state, every person in every business uh, is having to pay for. Uh, uh, just uh, absolutely uh, unbelievable. You know? But they got a good idea to use one of them to produce hydrogen. So you're going to take the most expensive and crazy form of electricity and then take water and crack it and make hydrogen out of it and then run the hydrogen into another power 